0: And thank you for the download It's Friday, August 27th And this is episode 39 of the Marty Called podcast I'm Tim Grassi And today I'm joined by my co-host, Assault Nasaki What's up, Josh? I'm a genie in a bottle, baby I've heard that about you Do you still have that conservatorship? Rub me Wrong uh, wrong singer? That was
1: the wrong singer anyway
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know pop music Uh, And Skipper Ben, what's up, Ben?
2: I've been dreading doing this show for a week now, so let's just get to it.
0: <laughs> uh, I assume the reason why you're dreading doing the show, uh, this is a new show, this is not the Animal Kingdom show, because Disney has given us news to discuss. And the no, bulk it's I to. it's
2: because I have to talk to Josh for the next two hours. That's probably
0: fair, but aside from that, you're probably also not overly thrilled about Disney Genie, which we will certainly be talking about, and that'll be the bulk of the conversation, but there were other news items that hit, and we're going to talk about those as well. First and foremost, Remy's Ratatouille Adventure has uh, undergone cast member previews, and I believe we're a week or so, maybe a week and a half out from annual passholder previews. Uh, not that there's anything groundbreaking that we're seeing, because this attraction exists pretty much in the exact same form in Paris, but it's still exciting that a new attraction is coming in uh, into Florida and into Epcot. Uh, first, I guess, true addition to Epcot since 89, I think. Uh, as I kind of look back at it, Norway and then uh, Wonders of Life were added. I suppose you could argue Soren wasn't I don't think wonders of Life. I don't think Wonders
1: of Life even counts as adding something to Epcot, but that's just well, me. Well,
0: I mean, there there was uh, Body Wars in there, so there was a ride. That's true. And I, I, I really like Cranium Command. So, I mean, it was a new pavilion. But anyway, uh, you're talking I, like 1989.
2: Yeah, I'm— Forget Mission Space or anything like that, too. No, I'm saying that was a replacement. That was a
0: replacement, yeah. Yeah, so I think you can... If you could call it that. So, I mean, Mission Space replaced an additional attraction, so like... Remy's replaced
1: storage areas, so come (laughs) on. I haven't ridden any of those storage areas yet, so... The one of the most amazing things about the Ratatouille cast member previews is the tweets from cast members talking about how disappointed they were. And I, I found them funny because, like you said, there's only like 40,000 ride-throughs of this that you could see online. So, But yeah, it isn't like, a great sign. <laughs> exactly. It's exactly what we knew it was going to be. Well, I'm still disappointed.
2: It, it didn't help that cast members had to pay $10 each to ride the ride. Uh, APs will have to pay $20 each to do the previews. So that's it's really taken the satisfaction way down.
0: It does hurt it. It does hurt it. Now, uh, since this has come out, and as kind of part of that Disney Genie announcement around that same time, buried in that, it was stated that Remy will open with boarding groups. For a day. Exactly. I'm going to put it out there. I would set the over-under on Ratatouille retaining boarding groups at October thirty I said October 31st. I'd give it a month, but I'm taking the under. So I think it's less (laughs) than a month. Yeah, I did too. That... I just, it's, regardless of the cast member opinions of it, it looks to be a step below Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, a perfectly adequate ride, and probably will ultimately be the best ride in World Showcase of the three that are there. I think just the highest caliber ride, but uh, it's It's also remarkably, (laughs) it's remarkably efficient and remarkably reliable. Two things that we haven't heard uh, about Disney for quite some time, so you got to, you gotta factor that in. I think that the need for a boarding group for Rise of the Resistance is obvious. It is the opposite of that. It is uh, inefficient and unreliable and also higher demand than Ratatouille. So, uh, I think that if this operates with a normal standby line, even with the Genie Plus Lightning Lane attached to it, with or without a premium upcharge, you're probably looking at This settling into a 45 to 60 minute wait most times. So that's not anything that would necessitate a boarding group for a prolonged period of time. But um, the other interesting thing about it is that when they announced the extended evening hours for the deluxe resort guests and DVC guests, Remy's Ratatouille Adventure was not included in that list which uh, is somewhat puzzling. It might have been an oversight because the attraction isn't open yet, but those evening hours uh, begin after the attraction opens. So I wonder if that is just an oversight or if it ultimately will be added. I'm sure you guys have watched video of Ratatouille, right? Yep. Yeah. I have as well. I'm looking forward to riding it. I wouldn't, as I said, I wouldn't expect it to be a better ride than Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. I, it looks to be a solid D ticket. and Some people will probably regard it as an E, uh, family friendly E. But uh, either way, I like to see an addition of a family friendly ride in Epcot. Yeah. And I, god I was gonna say we
2: spent way too much time the you know last year complaining about you know the lack of things to do and attractions need to be added. So when they when they do add one that's maybe not an E ticket, we we they're doing what we've been asking. Now we need them to do more of it, but yeah. they're at least doing it. So I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll help, you know, disperse the crowds a little bit uh right now, bringing more people to that end sure. of the park, uh, which is greatly needed at Epcot right now. It's so, it's so heavy to one side at the moment. So yeah, th- this it, it's, it, it might be a clone. It might not be something original, but it is something. And, It doesn't look like a bad ride. Like I'm really – I am very excited to do it. I was disappointed it wasn't open on this last trip. We planned to do a late summer trip hoping Ratatouille would have been open. So, uh, (laughs) you know. I told
0: somebody last year who was planning a trip for April of 2020 to push his trip back to April. Said because there's a chance that Ratatouille would be open. (laughs) It was probably ready in April of 2020. I I I think it sat
1: there with just waiting for someone to turn the key. Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, we are for a podcast that uh, is probably notorious at this point for complaining about IP integration into Epcot. I don't have an issue with this. I think that, um, I look at these types of additions to world showcase and say, strip away the, the existence of the movie. And if you just tell me the sales pitch of the ride that you've got a rat that is the chef in a French kitchen yeah. running amok. All right. I buy that as an Epcot attraction. That's I mean, honestly, enough. If the
1: movie never existed and this was just what they cooked up as, you know, IP for the park, it, yeah. like you said, everyone would have bought it. Yeah. Uh, it's silly. The, the, yeah. There's no reason. To, it's not, uh, it's not the stretch of taking Norway and saying, well, this is similar to a fictional country. We're just going to pretend they're the same country. It's definitely, uh, yeah. an easier fit, I think.
2: And this is what, we've asked them to do again on the, on the situation where they didn't take away something that was right. beloved or something that we grew up with there. There's no ruining anybody's childhood here. They added on, this is a whole <laughs> new section to the pavilion. Yep. Uh, so they did it the right way. If you're going to, if you're going to integrate something like this in there, uh, especially on the Epcot side where people are real touchy with the things that are taken away. And, and so much has been stripped away from that park over the years, from what we were all used to growing up and, you know, fell in love with uh it, As children going to going to Epcot, this is the version where they did it and they didn't they didn't harm anything and anything, you know, from when we flew over on the Skyliner. It looks really cool back there. They did a really good job uh, creating this this atmosphere and these sections. And uh, as somebody who's been to Paris, you know, there's little things with the signage and and certain stuff that looks exactly like what you would see on the streets in Paris. So it's they did a good job with this and like I said I'm I'm excited to ride it on our next trip. I uh, can't wait to see can't wait to get up at 6:55 in the morning to get a boarding group uh, so I can get over there and do it.
1: <laughs> you mentioned one thing that I think was uh worth pointing out which is that the just adding this area really smooths out the tra- the the landing of the Skyliner going into that that yep. part of Epcot that yep. was really rough when it was under construction. So I think there's sort of a double benefit there because that whole placemaking thing and sightlines from transportation has always been it's always been kind of weird from Disney because if you think about the Skyliner, to, you uh, can still see back there Island. for what it's worth. And back in the you know in '71, the Skyliner in Magic Kingdom, you could see. Not so much backstage, but you could see unfinished areas, and certainly, as the park got older, that became yeah. you know more more significant. so I think that doing i'm glad to see them at least considering the sight lines from the skyliner as they made this addition.
0: I think they're willing to sacrifice the pseudo backstage view not pseudo you're you're getting a flat flat out backstage view, but in order to eliminate all of that from the skyliner it was just not really a tenable thing no. Since uh, – I don't know if it was mentioned on the last show, but since we last recorded, I don't know if my source for this information put this out publicly, but I'm going to put it out there, uh, that the Skyliner was roughly a $300 million investment. So, as we discuss improvements and additions to uh, to parks down the line when we – Len Testa said it on a podcast a couple of weeks ago. He did say ago, it? So okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Full disclosure, I was going back and forth with Len uh, via email, and I don't know what was said in email <laughs> versus on the podcast, so that's why I did not mention his name. But thank you, Josh.
1: No problem.
0: And if he did put it in an email and we just outed it, oh, well. <laughs> it's probably on some sort of financial report that Disney has. Yeah, because anyway, he specifically said that by his
1: estimate, they paid five or six X what a municipality would have for a yeah. comparable type of system okay. to Disneyfy it.
0: Okay. So uh, that is – interesting information but also tells you that the cost of a monorail expansion we're going down monorail expansion i don't know who had that and uh marty called bingo today but uh the cost (laughs) of a monorail expansion would have had to exceed that level so anybody that thinks it's still a million dollars a mile and you know five million dollars for a train you're a little bit uh a little bit low on that, on those numbers. So, um, back to Ratatouille and the boarding groups. Uh, people are inferring a lot around the boarding groups for Ratatouille and a lot of Genie stuff. There's a lot of speculation out there. Um, and an example of this is language on the site, uh, says that boarding groups will be available beginning at 7 a.m. So people have since speculated that that'll be the elimination of the 1 p.m. boarding group once Disney Genie rolls out. Uh, Disney hasn't stated that. Um, so anything, anybody that's saying that is purely speculation and whether that speculation is just based on fear or disappointment in some of the other announcements remain to be seen. But as we've said on here, as we continue to speculate ourselves, I just don't see a logical reason why Remy would retain boarding groups. And if they want to sell it as an upcharge individual attraction selection attraction, uh, you want it to maintain uh, a big enough weight as opposed to having availability on a boarding group that lasts into, you know, the afternoon. So, uh, I, I think there is, there are many reasons why it won't keep a boarding group for a while, but, uh, that is not the only non-Disney, uh, genie news. <laughs> we have, uh, on a, a better note, not that Ratatouille is a bad note, but rise of the resistance boarding groups are lasting much longer as the attendance of the parks drops as kids go back to school. There was a night, uh, couple weeks ago, where they even opened up the standby queue um, at like 7, 7.30 at night. They exhausted all of the boarding groups that they distributed. I think on that particular night, they distributed 180 boarding groups, uh, which is roughly 18,000 people. And then they opened it up to all guests that wanted to wait for it. So... It's moving in the right direction, and I say that, and I think today it only got through 137 groups. So, uh, <laughs> not not perfect, but hopefully trending in the right direction, but it is still an underbuilt ride for, for what it is. Is it the worst uptime ride in any of the parks? Probably. I don't think so. I mean, Test Track was notoriously the culprit there.
1: For a long time, yeah.
0: So, that's actually a, a good question for uh, uh, for Mr. Testa, who I'm sure could answer that question in under three seconds, but... I mean it's it's certainly not reliable. Uh, you have to perhaps discount some of the outdoor attractions that shut down for uh, for thunderstorms, but um, that notwithstanding it's got to be it's got to be the uh, the least reliable attraction in the parks. and when the best case scenario for capacity is 1600 guests an hour, all the downtime doesn't help it. so
2: yeah. I'm just looking forward to the future attractions that they're going to dumb way down because they're so tired of having to deal with this on a daily basis. It's like, screw that. We're not going elaborate and creative. We're going back well, to uh small world. Everything's a small world.
1: <laughs> but, you know, cloning is a viable way to split the – you know, to, to sort of split the difference there because you do learn things. If you're going to build – everything you build can't be an ad hoc science experiment that's pushing the edge of sure. engineering. But You know, I can only imagine that when they build – granted, there was more than one of them, you know, because of Disneyland. But still, you're going to learn a lot. And I think if we think back to the construction of of this land, it seemed like a lot of changes that happened at Walt Disney World were probably spurred on by issues that they had encountered at Disneyland. So, you know, Six Flags is the master of this, right? They get a ride. They see if it works. If it's good, they they buy seven more of them. And I'm sure that – I was
0: going to say, can we call Six Flags the master of anything? (laughs) <laughs> uh, operational inefficiency they're well, <laughs> the I masters of overflowed trash cans <laughs>
1: <laughs> they, they certainly have a model that is the fact that they're a business despite the way that they treat <laughs> their guests and all the things they do wrong is a testament to the fact that they literally have to be doing at least something right
2: I hope we get a behind the attraction for Rise of the Resistance one day so they can just show us how they got all of this so wrong <laughs> I would love to see what is screwing up, what is causing so many problems because it, it's it seems like it's more than one thing. Uh that yeah, it's is causing there's, like there's how how did issues. they get this so screwed up?
1: I mean the question with anything like that is always what can be fixed with software with minor minor modifications and what of these problems, what subset of the problems are some fundamental design issue that can't be fixed. And I think back to uh the imagination pavilion, which for those of you that were fortunate enough to ride that in its first version, when you remember after you leave, leave load, you'd go around that carousel where uh Figment's fly uh, or the Dreamfinder's uh you know Dreamcatcher flying machine was. Yep. And you were moving and it was moving, it was an incredibly good effect. But by all accounts, it just was something that even after they quote unquote worked the bugs out of it, it was still horrifically unreliable, really difficult to fix. And it was just, it wasn't that there was something that they needed to, you know, make this piece of metal stronger or make this put a bigger, you know, a motor with twice as much horsepower over here. It was just the fundamental design of the thing was unfixable. Right. So hopefully that is not what we're seeing here. And the good thing is that Today compared to 1982, so much of what's in these attractions is software-based that there's a lot of things you might be able to fix without ever picking up a tool. So right. I'm still still optimistic that we're going to see some big gains in uptime there.
0: It's interesting that you bring up imagination because if you look at that attraction today, the Imagineers, when they created that attraction, saw a scene that they wanted to create, saw a need for throughput, and came up with the best idea at the time for how to do that scene – If they wanted to build the exact same attraction today with that scene, we've already discussed in the show the multitude of ways that you would do it.
1: Trackless ride vehicles could probably fix that instantly.
0: Trackless ride vehicles would be the first thing if you actually wanted to make it on ride. But now we're in the era of pre-shows being a substantial part of the attraction. You just Mm. make that scene a pre-show and it's a three minute pre-show or two and a half minute pre-show and you've... (laughs) <laughs> You've slashed the budget of the attraction significantly because that was presumably the most complicated scene in the attraction, most expensive scene in the attraction. And you do yep. it as a singular or maybe you have two pre-show rooms because of the um, the length of it. But you accomplish the same thing as, you know, a setup to the ride. But anyway. Oh, we, Ted, uh, I think
1: you were the guy that I heard first use the term value imagineering. And that's – you <laughs> described that to a T with that idea. I mean, it is – yes, it is a way to do it. But it would absolutely not be that visceral experience that they right, created. Right.
2: So with this having issues on both coasts like it is though, would this lean it towards being a fundamental design flaw? And with that being said, say that you know that there is word of this going into Paris and you know yeah. other parks, would they design it? Would they build the same ride, knowing how troublesome the two versions are that are out there right now? Would we see a drastically different version of of rise of the resistance moving so, forward.
1: My aunt, the, as a as a lay person who doesn't have any inside knowledge of how Disney makes decisions like that, me speculating, I would say they do sort of a Ford Pinto analysis, okay. where the where the question they're probably going to have to ask is what is it going to cost us to build the ride with the defects that we know it has and deal Mm -hmm. with them over this lifetime, you know, and amortize that out versus what is the opportunity cost and other costs associated with waiting until we learned more from the ones that we have and potentially redesigning it. I mean, that's really what it comes down to is as humans, we want to think about, well, it's a pain in the ass and there's downtime for guests, but as a business, those are all inputs and it gets all sort of blended down and reduced into you know, the bottom line. And I think that's based on this administration running that company. I don't think there's any real... (laughs) There's not much to grab onto to make us think that they're using anything other than the bottom dollar as the determinant factor for all of these decisions.
0: Well, this is an expensive as hell attraction. I don't know what it costs, but let's... To say that it's a $400 million attraction... Well, a theater theater on Main Street costs
2: $500 million.
0: (laughs) (laughs) To, To say that it's a $400 million attraction is probably not an understatement. So... We've, we've already identified It's remarkably complex. There are there are probably more things that can fail on this attraction than anything else they've built. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's <laughs> surely uh, bringing it home to roost. When they sold it to the public, they said it will have every trick that Imagineering has ever learned. And it doesn't it, – when it's fully operable, it lives up to that. And right. I saw it at – what did you say, Ben? Probably 95% with like two cannons not working and that was pretty much yeah. it. Yeah. It is an impressive as hell attraction.
1: And so, do you think it's mostly effects that are bringing the ride down, or is it the is it a stop?
0: I think it's got to be a combination of everything because they're doing uh, the last week or so, they haven't been running the transport ship. They've got system issues, machinery issues of the actual ride system that mm-hmm. isn't working in some way, shape, or form. So, I think you got a Murphy's Law attraction going on here. Yeah. There. yeah. yeah. Uh,
2: what do you think the issue is? Could be with the timing as well. This is a, this is an attraction that things have to run mm-hmm. on a dime, especially with the the vehicles from unload going to load okay. being a part of a show scene that, right. you know, it, did they well, overthink put- some of this stuff? What, what if you just had two dummy vehicles that just kind of rotated in a circle in that room and you had just the, the load stuff completely... Off offset that, that was going through a back hallway that would go to those. I don't know how you would do it, but there just seems like there could have been some overcomplicating of of how this attraction laid out from beginning to end.
1: Well the thing awesome is with timing, you- but there are timing effects with the vehicles too. And yeah. you can it's not hard to imagine how you always are going to have some paradox where you're balancing throughput with getting with precise timing, right? The more the more vehicles you want to cram through the Through the track in any given amount of time, um, the more tolerant you have to be of timing issues. And if you're not going to be tolerant of timing issues, you know, if one car rides into a, into a scene half a second late and you're not willing to tolerate that timing error, well, then in order for that not to cascade into a problem that lasts all day, you've got to slow slow down the vehicles that are behind it, right? So I could definitely see how their desire to do fast-paced shows that are very timing dependent and their ability to have high throughput are going to be constantly pushing against each other.
0: The question that Ben asked is, do they modify the attraction in any way in Paris? And I think uh, the th- that's not a simple yes or no question. I think th- we don't know definitively what the bottleneck what the bottleneck (laughs) scene is so is in most cases your bottleneck for an attraction is is load and unload that whatever uh Mm -hmm. the cycle time of the load that's gonna ultimately be uh how what your capacity is so like a, a standard boat ride like uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, you see that you can dispatch one boat. I don't know what the number is. Let's say every 15 seconds when you're running both sides. And then you figure out how many people are on the boat, how many, uh, how many, uh, so it's 15 seconds. So you've got now 240 dispatches per hour. So it's, it's relatively simple math and something like this. It's entirely possible that load unload is not the issue that it's the elevator uh, up and down where, the clearance for that requires a little bit more um, uh, downtime. And that's the bottleneck. Uh, we, I, I think when we Josh and I first went on Frozen Ever After, we were trying to diagram the scene uh, where you approach Elsa and then go backwards mm-hmm. and figured that that scene, uh, in order to properly clear that scene, you needed, let's say, 35 seconds. So that meant that, that scene and the dispatch time can't... Like, the dispatch can't be lower than how long the boat is in that scene because of the switch tracks that are there. Uh, right. So there's a bunch of things like that that take place operationally on any given attraction that it isn't necessarily how quickly and how frequently the vehicles dispatch uh, that would determine capacity. But in a situation like Rise of the Resistance, the, the downtime... May It contributes to the issue, but if there's a way to increase the capacity on the attraction by improving whatever the bottleneck is, that may ultimately be the solution and you just deal with the downtime. Because it is such a complex ride system combining three significant ride systems in a trackless vehicle, the Tower of Terror drop sequence and a Star Tours simulator base, all of those combined into one thing plus the pre-shows that are also complicated, you may have to deal with the errors and the downtime of those things. But if you can, say, get two more people on the vehicle or dispatch vehicles more frequently or build a third elevator lift, uh, those are the things that they'd have to look at for the Paris uh, attraction and they're not things that are obvious in Florida. The load-unload,
2: though, I mean, we don't have a standby line to look at how... that, That seems to tend to cause delays as opposed to something is
0: breaking to make this thing shut down a And lot. that's possible. It could be as simple. So there, as far as I know, uh, they have, what do we load? 16 people into that last pre-show where uh, General Hux, who we've now determined is yeah. known to be a spy. Uh, so we've got 16 people in there loading into two vehicles, right? Uh-huh. Is that how they do it? There's four of those rooms. Does adding a fifth room, it may not necessarily increase the capacity of the attraction by 25%, But if it means that you are not rushed and you basically have vehicles waiting to go when the timing is appropriate, does that simply solve the problem Um, where you have the dispatches as frequently as you can for an optimized uh, hourly capacity? Uh, Adding a fifth room with two additional vehicles that can be added to the dispatch area may be the way to go if the dispatches themselves are the bottleneck.
2: That and yeah, that that totally makes sense. But that's not what's causing downtime. No, no. But and so that there's that's what I mean is like yeah, if uptime is
0: more efficient, then downtime is less important. If that makes sense, it's not it's not unimportant. But well, they're both important. (laughs) But yeah, yeah. If the thing's going to be down
1: ten percent of the time, then yeah, the more people per hour that it can uh, you know, serve during the hours it's up, the less pissed off people they'll be. And but still I you guess, kinda have to hit both.
2: Yes. Yeah, that and that that's my curious point is like I don't know if any of us know what is causing the downtime. Right. Is it is it a ride system issue? Is it, you know, I mean, when I worked at Muppets, if there were X number of things not working inside the theater, that caused the downtime. If, if, right. if you had certain audio animatronics, we had a little checklist. If, you know, two or three things was okay. Once we got this one or, or, or there were certain things that were complete shut, Waldorf and Statler not working is a complete shutdown yeah. of the attraction. You know, what are those things that are inside? You, you saw the two cannons not wor- working. Obviously that's fine to run with. They're not going to shut the thing down for that because it was that way for the entire week I was there. Yeah. But. You know, there, there are things that are causing long, massive downtimes that are causing 136 groups to get through today. That's not because of load unload issues. That's because something broke. We're down for two hours. We're down for right. an hour here, an hour there. What are what are causing those breaks? Well, that let me ask you this:
1: what, for all the people that are on the ride when it goes 101, what do they get? Because my feeling is that they are getting a re ride. So it's not Probably. downtime. Is is worse, they're getting than a star tours
2: fast pass. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? It's like not only do you lose the time that you're not serving new customers, but you've got to deal with these existing. Cu- I, I think that downtime is uh, I would lower capacity pretty significantly if it meant that the thing stayed up, you know, a substantial uh, larger amount of the time.
0: We not don't to know mention- how correlated those are, and I mean, to True. the opposite thing, like if I'm adding. Uh, a fifth uh, loading area that could also just further deteriorate the, uh, yeah, the downtime. you have to understand so, the
1: problem before you could craft the solution. That's oh, sure. exactly,
0: exactly. That, that, I'm just it, spitballing a potential uh, solution to a capacity issue, which even if it's up 100% of the time, it still has. The interesting like Blue
1: Sky uh, Imagineering podcast is that we are completely free from any constraints that the company would <laughs> otherwise put on us. The bad yeah. news is we have no information.
0: Also true. <laughs>
2: well, what, I, what we should do is build a second rise of the resistance like the third
0: theater at Soarin'. Look what, look what it did for uh, Wait Time's there. <laughs> Toy Story, work like a charm. It actually dropped both of those significantly, but yes, it is uh, <laughs> at, at just four hundred million dollar drop in the bucket to do it. Yeah, why not? That's uh, like why do we seven people subscribing to Disney Plus? Yeah, why don't we <laughs> move away from Rise of the Resistance? Uh, some other restaurant information news: uh, Steakhouse Seventy One is replacing the Wave, and I am rip shit because I wanted to eat an incredible steak. Uh, Tom Corliss promised that I would eat an incredible steak, and we are not getting it. So. Uh, F you Tom, buffets <laughs> buffets are returning. We're never going back on that show again. As a, uh, no, as a got,
1: f- we gained and lost the most users <laughs> ever after going on that show.
0: <laughs> as, as a uh, as a fat guy, I'm a big fan of the buffets returning. Um, Boma, I believe, is the first one opening up, and then some existing ones that are currently operating as family style are switching over. So, uh, the beer. Garden I'm licking every large spoon handle in every buffet from here on out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you may want to wear gloves when you're eating there, but other than that. But I'm, I mean, so many, some of these places were uh, kind of Disney staples, but if you actually look into it, really, there might only be half a dozen buffets at Disney World that are like true buffets as opposed to food served family well, style. Well, they're
1: opening that new one. It's called the, uh, the Delta Variant Buffet. That's going to be a <laughs> big hit, I think.
0: So uh, I'm a, I'm a fan of the buffets returning when we go in uh, in November, December. Uh, I know we're hitting Beer Garden and we might hit Boma as well. Boma as a breakfast buffet is uh, is pretty darn awesome. So if you haven't done that, I can't recommend it enough, especially if you aren't afraid of COVID. Does the Poly still have like a bulldozer sitting in the entryway the way it did
1: two months ago? Or is the construction there starting to wrap up?
0: No, it's still pretty uh, – Pretty thick. They're doing the panels, the the colorful panels on the exterior facade. Uh, yeah. The monorail. I don't know that that's opening anytime soon. So there was no platform
1: th- at all. The last time I saw it.
0: Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's. I don't know if it's progressed from there. I haven't seen a picture in several weeks, but it does not appear that the monorail station will be open anytime soon. So. Um, but, I mean, the interior of the building is fine. Uh, I, I uh, ate at Tambu a couple weeks ago, and that was pretty good. So Cirque du Soleil, Drawn Together, debuts November 18th. Ben, did you ever see the uh, original La show or any Cirque shows? I, I've seen many Cirque shows in Vegas, and I've seen La probably
2: five or six times. I was actually thinking about that this morning. Okay. But that was also because when I worked there, cast members got pretty massive discounts to go to it. So
0: it, made, that's, it, that's be- probably fair. it became a cheap date, and I'm the master of cheap dates. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that about you. I've heard that about you. Uh, I've only seen one. It was a traveling show, and it was entertaining. Um, I don't know that this is something that I would go in without remarkably positive reviews. I never saw Anuba. Uh I- Josh, I'm assuming you didn't see either of them. I've seen O in Vegas, okay.
1: and I saw another one that I can't remember the name of. And I kind of agree with you. It's one of those things where it's an amazing spectacle, but for my attention span and interest in that particular subject matter, it's about fourteen times longer than it needs to be.
2: <laughs> so I, I'm a big Cirque fan, uh, but that was also like back in the late '90s when Cirque was super do they still, popular. Do
1: they call big circum? Or- circumcised that's what they call you
0: guys right yeah yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. uh you know li- that joke like, uh, i've seen the uh, i'd say that joke was a cut
0: above the rest you've made <laughs> you're
2: making penis jokes trying to get just... ahead over here
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> as you're making penis jokes probably not the best time to say i have saw the michael jackson uh search <laughs> joke in uh, vegas it was pretty fantastic uh you just killed I've josh <laughs>
1: i've seen pretty... mystere out there i've
2: seen love all mystere of them great.
0: that's
1: the one i
2: saw yeah mystere was really good um and I like, I like Cirque a lot.
0: Now, the thing uh, – <laughs> I just go to that- the knocked up scene where they, uh, they had to go see the show on mushrooms and then when they pitched that to the Cirque to Soleil people, you know, they were like, <laughs> you mean people don't see these shows on mushrooms? <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh, the thing that will be
2: interesting here uh, and do we get paid every time we say Lentessa's name on the show?
0: Or how yeah. that work? Okay. Yeah, that's how it works. So uh,
2: on the latest uh, Disney Dish, uh, he said somebody, or I might have been Jim. We should call uh, the show
0: after the Dish. That's what we should at- call it. <laughs> oh, the, the, the dish After Show. I like
1: it.
2: I yeah, it's or fantastic. Dish on the Dish. <laughs> dish on the Dish. We are definitely doing that sometime in the future. We'll get Greg the to come on as the fourth <laughs> yeah. host. We are one thousand percent going to do an episode of that. Um, <laughs> uh, well, somebody. <laughs> <laughs> My signature impression. Um, Jim, I believe, said somebody got in there into the system, was trying to fudge around and look at tickets, and said that the cheapest ones that they came across, which was at the back of the theater, uh, as high up as you could get, was $85 a piece. Uh, And, you know, I don't know if you guys have heard, but Disney's becoming a very expensive vacation. So, (laughs) you know, adding... $85 cheap seats to a show on top of uh, your ticket package already might be asking for a bit much. So uh, who knows? Maybe this could be very popular or maybe this is uh, the second NBA experience uh, in that section of Disney Springs uh, pretty soon. So we'll have to wait and see.
1: I'll say that uh, we all sort of came out looking like Nostradamus on the NBA experience. I don't think we uh, said one thing that wasn't accurate about its lifespan or popularity.
0: That doesn't even make a news item bullet point for me. No. Uh, I mean, it was open, I think, less than six months is the way that it all uh, shook out. It did open uh, maybe seven months, so August to March uh, for COVID. So basketball, give me, give me, give me the ball
2: because I'm going to.
1: Come on. We got our post show song.
0: I will sing all of that one. That's a fantastic Saturday Night Live skit. I think we got it. yeah that, Ben you, you can send me that after the fact. Uh, so we're calling this show after the uh, after the dish okay. So that's our show title.
1: That's the after after show.
0: I had to write that down. You can hear the uh, the paper ripping. This is for Josh. There we go. Uh, <laughs> you want some rustling too?
1: I want some ASMR pa- page turning. <laughs>
0: Um, other news, uh, we are clearly not the Cirque du Soleil, uh, podcast, but, uh, something that I thought was interesting is that the Disney Marius After Hours event will have the Once Upon a Christmas Time parade, which is the first true parade that they are hosting on, uh, in Walt Disney World post pandemic. And I know that they restrict the number of people that Go to these after-hours events, and that must be some of the logic that they can do it logistically, even though every night, as Ben and I saw it, they stack people 10 deep in the fireworks show uh, on uh, in the hub. I don't know why a parade is any, uh, any more problematic than that from a yep. uh, disease-spreading standpoint, but I thought it was interesting nonetheless – I, I've only a COVID been to the- policy not actually comporting <laughs> with logic or common sense? No. I, 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 I've been to uh, the Halloween party. I've never been to the Christmas party. Have either of you guys been? No. Y- yeah. Not my so cup of tea. Many times. Okay.
2: I like the Christmas party. The Christmas party is a lot of fun. Uh, he also bought a
1: DVC, so <laughs> just
2: saying. <laughs> I didn't. My
1: parents did. but uh- he, did, he didn't buy an Epcot Forever shirt. Oh, let's, Somebody- <laughs> that's below the belt, buddy. My <laughs> wife's actually wearing it right now, and it looks quite... Uh, Quite stunning. Are we reviewing
0: Epcot forever tonight? Or no, we're not. Oh,
1: okay. You have no credibility after that. You actually are <laughs> on probation after your comments on this show.
0: What did you learn?
2: <laughs> uh, no, a I, I, Christmas party we like. Uh, I, I actually think I don't know. Halloween party is better. Uh, well, the 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 old version. The uh, very the the. God, the I traditional version. Things. Yeah, there's so Very, many stupid yeah, names not so If you just
1: If you just yep. amortize it out, what's the most you've ever paid for a piece of candy corn, you would say? <laughs> I Two, three <have> hundred? <laughs> I will tell you, I've come back
2: from the Christmas party with the entire carry-on full of candy. So we we get our money's
1: worth. Which I paid uh, $50 to, <laughs> to fly back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know they
0: sell that in the store
1: for a lot less. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I'm
2: like, kids, go through the line again. God damn it, this was a... All- <laughs>
1: Uh, Fucking drug but- dog rips open his bag full of like powdered <laughs> sugar donuts. <laughs> uh,
2: as far as the Christmas party goes, though, the the thing to do is the parade. So it is it is good to see that that's that's back.
0: Okay, okay, yeah. I mean, it's. I thought it was interesting. It wasn't anything. We're going to be there when the Marius After Hours event is going on, but it wasn't enough to get me to spend one hundred forty bucks for a ticket. But uh, I thought it was still interesting that it was coming back, and I do hope that the larger events the uh mickey's very merry christmas party and the not so scary halloween party which do sell more tickets than these after hours events come back because uh, as ben said like yes you can go on rides with reduced weights and that's kind of how they're selling these uh this year but i think that the big things that these are the parades and are the fireworks so i i hope they don't come back i want everything
2: to fail right now anything that's an upcharge <laughs> fail failure 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 it- I'm on second beer already. Sorry.
0: Well, speaking of failures, Living with the Land has been closed for uh, uh, almost a week now. No more free cucumbers. I was going to say they're planting new cucumbers. Uh, there's no no real uh, reason given by Disney yet. I don't think this is a an issue or a sign that the attraction is closing. I suspect that there is something functionally wrong with it, like uh, a pump could have broke or whatever. Yeah. No, I heard they're bringing the shoulder
2: restraints from Alien Encounter over to keep you locked in your seats. (laughs) You are not getting one more free thing from us. It
1: feels like there's a jalapeno pepper breathing on your neck.
2: (sighs) (sighs) I'm spicy.
0: So hopefully uh, that's, oh, that reopens soon enough <laughs> with those Alien Encounter restraints. And I also imagine that uh, – I, I mention this every time Alien Encounter gets mentioned – that uh, Ben's father will continue to mess with Ben's mother when you go through a dark corridor and living with the land. I don't. That's, I don't want any more brothers or sisters. That
1: seems <laughs> just kind of gross and untasteful, Tim. <laughs> oh, Come on. What, what else is family, family show. Family <laughs> show. Watch your fucking mouth. <laughs>
0: Um, nephews, if you're listening, uh, that, that was Josh that said that, not me. Anyway, uh, last bit of news items before we get to uh, Disney Genie is Universal Beijing is uh, opening up new rides on a daily basis. It's as if it's a new <laughs> resort, and uh, the one that uh, broke the uh, theme park uh, social media f- sphere is the Jurassic World ride that is very, very impressive. Uh, if you have a chance, if you haven't had a chance to look at it, go on the YouTubes and find a, a good ride video of it um specifically there is a chase scene with the indominus rex that is wildly impressive and this is coming from somebody i i do think that the carnotaurus chase scene in dinosaur is one of the more underrated scenes of disney am attraction. i the only <laughs>
1: asshole that doesn't know the names of these dinosaurs well ben told me ahead of time i cheated okay
0: uh so I, it looks Jeez. like i'm smart but really it's ben that has all this information universal <laughs> expert but ben why don't you uh go into some of the the details of this ride and just what you saw, what your uh, opinions of it are. As we always do, we judge things by a, uh, a YouTube video without actually experiencing it in person. That's what we well, got. Luckily, luckily they didn't use augmented reality to uh, <laughs> create the Indominus Rex for this oh, one. Oh, you're going to get yelled at. Send your letters to Ben. Or what is your backside underscore water? It's uh, utilidors.com.
1: <laughs> got it. Yeah, <laughs> buy a shirt while you're there. That'll teach them.
2: Three O's uh, for savings. This is using uh, the ride system that uh, I know Tim and I, Josh. I don't know your opinion on it, but Tim and I, we absolutely love uh, the Spider Man uh, scoop ride yeah, I system, love it. and uh, it's it's fantastic. And so this is Josh, the next why do you generation. hate Universal?
1: Why do you no, hate I, Universal? <laughs> I think that's a phenomenal <laughs> ride. I I remember the first time I rode that, and I was like, "What the hell was that?" It was mind blowing.
2: Well, I think now if we were to do this one, uh, we'd all be going, what the hell is that again? Because (laughs) they, they, from what it looks like, uh, and yes, like you said, experience something through YouTube is not the best way to do it, but I've watched this thing like a thousand times already because it seems, uh, it seems amazing on YouTube. I can't even imagine what it comes across, uh, in person using that ride system, uh, using, as good a blend I've seen of screens into live action sets uh, as any other attraction. Uh, it, it does have kind of a Harry Potter and the Forbidden Journey type opening feel to it. Uh, except instead of physical sets, you do see a large digital screen that overlooks the entire park and has some digital dinosaurs on there to kind of set the the tone. But after that, you've got nearly three solid minutes of no screens whatsoever, and just massive audio animatronics and, and set pieces. Uh, two encounters with the Indominus Rex: one where, like Tim said, it's chasing you, uh, and, and it's—I do like the Carnotaurus scene, but you know, after you've done it many times, you just kind of see that it's—it's it's like a—it's on a little system that makes it lunge at you more than actually yep. chase you. This Indominus Rex freaking chases you. This uh, turns a
0: corner, which is... It turns a corner. Uh, if anyone a,
1: had the word endogenous on their uh, bingo card, they just had an alcohol poisoning event.
0: Indominus for those... In, uh, Indominus, like Derek, The, the, the <laughs> dumb <double laughs> other Jurassic World... Uh, you, know, you don't know. Fake dinosaur yeah. names.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it... it, it, it and that scene is one of the most impressive scenes i've ever seen using the ride system along with a massive audio animatronic uh that's on a that's on its own ride su- you know track system that we've never seen done to the scale before uh your car is driving backwards while this thing is running towards you which just gives this wonderful effect of you being in peril underneath this thing like it, it it's you do get that true sensation that you are about to be swallowed up by a massive dinosaur during this part. So in, uh, in the way the scene works, is kind of a uh, circular room that you're going through in this part of the attraction, uh, which allows the, the, the ride, sit, the ride vehicle is kind of on the outside edge of the circular room while the Indominus Rex is on the inside. And there's a track that the Indominus Rex is on that is giving that effect of it running and, at one point, your car gets away, your car, your scoop vehicle, whatever you want to call it for a better lack of a term, spins away, goes to the next scene. And the Indominus Rex just kind of continues in that circular motion and times it perfect for that next vehicle to come through. Uh, for, you know, we live in a world where they can't get a Yeti to move its arm up and down. Mm hmm how they pull this off. And See, that's a, actually... I, I the, don't mean
1: to ru- I apologize for interrupting, but that's the perfect example of a fundamental design error. Like, they just built the thing out of the wrong material. Like, everything about it was wrong. There's yeah. no fixing it. So, yeah. sorry. But that's just a tie yeah, back it, to what we are talking
2: well, about earlier. But that, that, that makes me sit there. That's the first thing I thought of is like, okay, I'm watching this ride vehicle from the, day, the first day the attraction was open. Mm-hmm. One, how are they going to keep this thing running? And, you know, it, it, again, it's not like a little small motions. It's not smoke and mirrors. This thing is moving. It's leaning in. Its arms are moving. Its legs are moving. Its mouth's moving. Its its head is lunging towards you. There's a lot of animation in the figure. So right off the bat there, that that scares me a little bit, uh, along with the timing of that scene. And, and, and to me it seems like this is the make or break scene. Like you have to have oh, this scene is, working. Yeah. If this scene's not working, I don't know what a B mode for it would be. It's It's that big and that impressive. There's not something that could adequately take its place. To get you no. through this part of the attraction, so uh, whatever they did to to create this, uh, kudos to them, hats off. They did a they did a freaking fantastic job of uh, this, and and that's really that's one of two major scenes. There's a second scene a little
0: bit further along where Can you, uh, it, I want to stay. I want to stick on the scene for a second. Yep. So you said that it basically completes a circle to go back to it. Is there any rotation of the figure itself? To kind of get back to uh, position one, for lack of a better term, so that it greets the next vehicle. So, like, it, it basically makes an L for the motion that is seen on the video, right?
2: It seems that way, but based on how the track layout is, it, it's, it is a full circle. They so couldn't it, do an. It couldn't do an L. I think it, any kind of motion that would seem to take you off that track a little bit is actually being done by your your vehicle, okay. and not the Indominus's movement towards you. I think the Indominus is always going in a complete circle, but the the because of how impressive those ride vehicles are, in in the you know being able to turn on its base and move and point you in the direction that you want to. That it, once you point it, it can come off as if you're being maybe chased more
0: in a straight line at certain points. So are we seeing, and it could be some of like the deception that you see on Indiana Jones uh, adventure in that final sequence there where your vehicle is stationary, the entire room is moving. Uh, so there's probably multiple things at play here. So is it your understanding then that you're basically seeing Let's call it, you know, three hundred thirty of three hundred sixty degrees of the circle yes. is yep. when you have eyes on the uh, the dinosaur that's chasing you. Okay. Yeah,
2: based on based on that room layout, and because there's something like that, there's just not enough time to reset it any other way. Like it's got to complete the circle and catch that next vehicle as it as it first enters yeah. the room. But yeah, I, you, I think you, it's you, very much like the Dreamfinder
1: thing. Like it's it's it it's. Presented so that it looks like a linear motion, but it's actually a rotational motion.
0: So that's that in itself is very impressive. And I think the only thing I could come up with that is comparable to it, besides the Carnotaurus, because that's a straight line, and then, yeah, it, a uh, then that's it, then it a great goes man.
1: Back. <laughs> I'm a Carnotaurus. You
2: need to listen to Bill Nye more when you're in the queue for that, Josh. But the, I mean, uh, we go over. Uh, Josh hasn't been man. to the Animal Kingdom in a decade. <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> The um, But over on Radiator Springs Racers, there's a sequence where uh, uh, Mater is backing up, and then there's uh, like a, a bush that blocks your view of Mater, and then Mater continues to back up, and it's actually two different Maters. And yep. w- and the first one resets, and the second one continues from a throughput standpoint. That's so the coolest this-
1: stuff in the world to me. Like the- I love that kind of Imagineering where it's just – I think it's the neatest thing in the world when you can do that kind of trick in three dimensions with actual practical props and people don't know.
0: Yeah, and it, unless you're looking for it, you're not going to notice it until maybe the 10th time you ride. And it's just it's done very well. And that's a, a, a much – even though it's a dark scene, it's a brighter scene than this. So in this case, you can hide anything and everything. Um, I'm going to guess that the dinosaur probably isn't on – uh, like, it's not on a trackless thing or anything like that. It's probably on, like, a slot car peg, yeah. uh, multiple yeah. pegs. It's kind of moving it, but it has enough range of motion where those things that are keeping it on the track uh, are, are are hidden enough, yeah. and, yeah, as Ben said... The way that the scene is framed, you're, you're not getting wasted movement of that full circle because to me it looked like an L shape and that would only be, you know, 180 degrees of that circle as opposed to, you know, 300 plus degrees of that circle. So it yeah, is a very impressive execution. I Here's one thing also to think about because this is a large room. This is a long
2: sequence. This is not something that's like a two second pass by like you're being chased by this thing for what maybe 15 seconds. Like it's, it's a, it's a long sequence. Is, is there two of these? I
0: don't know.
2: I wonder if there's, you know, on each side of that track as a, you know, as we're exiting that room is the other one already in there and there's already another T-Rex going. So that's something I would like to, you know, dive into at some point, if we ever got that kind of information, if if there's two going on uh, to help the throughput, We need the
0: lights-on ride-through of that one.
2: Oh, I can't wait for the lights-on ride-through of that ride. To your your point,
0: though, Ben, if it's making a complete circle, and this goes back to the conversation earlier about uh, dispatch times, if they're—say it's a 15-second scene, if as long as they're dispatching and those dispatches are more than 15 seconds, then— if the figure is back at position one to greet the next vehicle, it can just keep continue going in circles over and over and over again for 12 hours. So, uh, but that's going to, I mean, something like that will inevitably fail. And if that is a one-on-one animatronic for that attraction, then it has to be, I mean, yeah, it has to be, but, uh, then you're going to have the downtime there. And so that's potentially asking a lot of stress on it. And to Ben's question, if there are two scenes and we don't know one way or another, if there are, Um, I'm sure that somebody that's listening might know definitively, then you can at least operate it at, you know, half capacity. uh, If one of them is down.
1: I'd reel you back a little bit on something you just said, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I do just want to point it out. The amount of stress on it is probably related to directly how, directly to how well it was designed. The Yeti, the Yeti is someone who's never built an animatronic in my life, but I'm basically going to paraphrase Bob Gurr here. They just designed it wrong.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, they, the attitude of the people that designed that based on their own admission was look how, you know, it was a, it, this is very misquoted, so I'll try and state it correctly. No one ever said it was more powerful than a 747. What, what they did say is that it had an aircraft actuator on it. So the mm-hmm. actuators that were driving the, uh, animations were the sort of things that would put the flaps down on a, you know, large airliner that Boeing might build. So that's, that's what they were saying. But Bob Gurr's point is still completely valid, which is that that's not something to brag about because right. what it really is, is an admission that you didn't take the time to figure out how to build this thing in a way that was reliable and, or excuse me, durable and would withstand the test of time, but was also light. Because yeah. They made it too damn heavy. They made it too damn heavy. And now they have all this massive, heavy machinery. Like, I've got news for you airliners get a hell of a lot more love, care, and attention, maintenance wise, than a theme park. Park attraction needs to. Yep. So if you design something that is used 24 hours a day, seven days a week, well, I, I guess that's an exaggeration, but eight hours a day, seven days a week, uh, or, you know, eight to 10 hours a day, seven days a week. And you, and it requires the same, you know, n- number of hours of maintenance relative to the number of hours of use. The aircraft model is a really bad one to follow. So, yeah,
0: probably. you know,
1: hopefully we, cause we were talking about this earlier, you would think that there's a pretty small number of people that are designing these kinds of effects in the world. You know, there's mm-hmm. a lot more doctors and lawyers and uh, architects and teachers and plumbers than there are people who design theme park attractions. So- you have to think that if you're going to theme park attraction school, that the Yeti has got to be in the fucking book, right? You, <laughs> you, you want to think that in 2021, people who are designing these big effects are going to know that they story the and not Yeti make this mistakes. They when had they, when, the Yeti conversation exactly. when Don't they Yeti this in, up.
0: <laughs> when they had that, when they made that figure, they had the Yeti conversation. Zero doubt in my mind. Yeah, they said exactly. We what do we do to make sure that this isn't the Yeti? Do we have a uh, a, a scene B? Do we have an option there? Uh, I know that Disney definitely did it for the Navi Shaman animatronic, um, sure. and I'm sure that that animatronic was uh, probably built far better to Bob Gurr's specifications. It also right. doesn't thrust at the boat as it drives by, but it, <laughs> uh, but like th- to the to the greater point, it was probably uh, a far more efficiently designed figure. I also think it was a Garner Holt figure, and I don't believe the Yeti was. But I think we've been flirting with the answer, which is circles are easy. I mean, think about yeah i i I'm
1: going to make another sports reference. Here, oh, here we God. go. Right. Here we All go. right, everybody. <laughs> Dear God, please don't really screw it up. But I mean, think about when athletes injure themselves. It's, it's largely in change of directions, right? You look at a football player who gets hit or someone whose foot gets planted and then they twist their knee. Um, you know, change of directions impart massive amounts of force, of force on things because you have inertia going one way that you're now overcoming and you're, you're, you know, directing energy in a completely different direction. So all of the mechanics that are involved in that change have to absorb that. Whereas sure. if you, if you are able to design the ride path and the motion of the vehicle so that the big heavy, dis- albeit as light as you could make it animatronic, could just simply keep rotating 360 degrees in a circle, you never have that change of direction. So these are the sorts of evolutions in ride design that I would expect to see from people that realized, holy crap, these you know linear motions that have 180 degree uh you know direction changes in them they can't withstand the duty cycle of being on constantly for years at a time that we want to do so you know this the only reason I'm really harping on this is because I feel sort of guilty almost every time I record one of these shows cuz I have so much negative to say about what the parts <laughs> do but I really do love and I am inspired by the fact that people can build one off things that are really, really complicated and have, and are still able to learn enough from the relatively small body of works that came before them to make them better. Cause that's what we're all hoping for. We want the theme park that's going to exist in 25 years to be better than the one that existed. That exists today, and I think that's why we're so hard on Epcot and other places where they get worse over time. But things like this, I really hope that this is a you know evolutionary step in ride design that takes all of those past failures into effect.
2: I just want to go on the record that Tim and I uh, really like Joe Roddy. It's Josh that thinks he sucks balls, so just <laughs> I never so right it's clear.
1: I the, think Joe Roddy is exactly screwed up the Yeti, what theme park's you're so pissed he- at him. <laughs> you know what? I think Joe Rody cares about is making the best thing that he's <laughs> capable of making. And I don't think that that is the motive of many of the Imagineers today. I think they, and I'm going to quote Len Testa again for
0: the uh, last kissing
1: yeah. award of the decade, which I'm not trying to do, but I don't listen to much because I, I, I have a hard time getting through the uh, Disney dish podcast, honestly but I, I did listen to him on the Tomorrowland Society, and one thing he said is that it, it seems Dan's like still
0: not getting you on. You can keep on buttering up Dan, <laughs> but fine. he's not letting you on. That's
1: fine. We've we told this, Dan this, that this we
0: won't do his show ever again if, if he invites you on.
1: So, <laughs> and that's I'm okay. Too it's his show I, look, I, I honor the uh, sovereignty <laughs> of his show and his right to decide who is and is not on it. Um, but one thing that Len said that I thought was I'm really... I'm recording
0: with po- him next week, by the way. Poignant. <laughs> of course you are.
1: And uh, it, it made me feel good because it made me feel like maybe I'm not as miscalibrated as I thought about what the motives yeah. of a lot of Imagineering is, but he said that a lot of these people seem to be so enamored with the title of being an Imagineer that they forgot yeah. what it really means, and they're just they're serving their own egos instead of trying to create the best thing they can for guests. And I think Joe Rody without a doubt, is someone who was motivated primarily, even after he got very you know wealthy and famous from doing his job. I think that his primary motive was building the most awesome thing that he could. Yeah. And when people have that as a motive, whether it's Steve Jobs or Walt Disney or, or Joe Rody, awesome things happen from that. Because the reality of it is, and I'll lump myself into this, most people waste a huge amount of time in life, because what we're really trying to do is feel good about ourselves and pat ourselves on the back and get enough money to be happy and then be as lazy as we can possibly get away with. There are a handful of people that are just like, fuck that. I'm going to bust my ass way harder than I actually have to in order to survive and be happy because I'm driven by making something awesome. And Mm -hmm. not surprisingly, those are the people that make things that are awesome. So, uh, you know, I am concerned that it seems like the culture of the Disney company is not doing a whole lot. To Would make- you
0: argue that the Marty Called podcast uh, meets the qualification of something awesome and that we are all collectively <laughs> driven to produce that something awesome? Well, I could say this. I'm certainly not doing it for the money.
1: <laughs> you know, I say a lot of things and I know irritate a lot of people, but I've never lied on this podcast. I've never pandered to anyone. So you said in- you
0: love me. <laughs> <In> my-
1: <laughs> I- Look, I don't think I'm in that category of awesome person that's created anything awesome. But... I do really have a lot of appreciation and respect for the people that I feel are in that category. And I think that one of the things that companies can do to ensure future success, both for their future happiness for their customers and future success for their executives and employees and shareholders is nurture a culture where those people that want to bust their ass harder than most people are willing to do want to be there. And I don't think that the current Disney company is doing that. This, no. this regime in particular is driven by things that are not very compelling to people who are brilliant storytellers and, uh, you know, brilliant set designers. These are artists. These are your more right-brained people, generally speaking. And the, the sad thing is there's nothing wrong with building a successful commercial enterprise, but it gets really – one of my favorite quotes, and I can't tell you who said it, is that success hides a myriad of faults. That was Mitch and Hedberg. <laughs> Len it was Mitch. Damn it. Why didn't I make that joke? <laughs> oh, I'm going to beat myself up for that. <laughs> but the, the the Disney company is so successful right now that they could screw up really badly and nobody really notices. And I, I think we're seeing that so much. But in any event, I, I deviated here. I didn't make, need me to make a – you know, to digress so far from what we were talking about, but Ben commented on Joe Roddy. Those are the kinds of people that Disney needs to be attracting and nurturing and mentoring, so that they can do the best work that they're capable of. And I don't think that's happening.
0: You still think Joe Roddy sucks? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I appreciate how good of a listener you are, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> they.
0: they uh, it seems to me that leadership is views imagineering not necessarily as an asset but just a division of the company no different than the accountants the accountants or the marketers or anything like that they're just yeah. they, they they produce uh product and that product costs a lot of money, so they probably aren't liked by uh, by the higher-ups, despite the fact that, that it is a driver of one of their cash cows. Uh, I also think that as somebody like myself that is very uh, black and white, that is very much a numbers person, that uh usually people that fall into that mindset, and most of your executives do fall into that mindset, they lack any level of creativity. And I will fully admit that I don't have a whole lot of creativity, certainly not from an artistic standpoint. And it's why I'm envious and why I appreciate so much of what somebody like a Joe Rody does, or really pick your Imagineer, uh, that it's something that I know myself I can't do, and I am wildly impressed by it. So
1: yeah I think I think you said that really, really well. thank you.
0: Uh, part part of why we do this show is to analyze things that we perhaps are incapable of doing ourselves but uh, we can Monday Morning Quarterback and think we know better. So it really is uh, uh, one of the appeals of doing this show. But uh, the other appeal is to bitch about things that we don't like. And speaking of that, and I don't know if – I may come on a different uh, level than you Get guys are. you say are. next. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I may uh, come down – I'm going to make it even worse – uh, on a different uh, uh, side of this than you guys are. But uh, Disney, the Genie, back side. Disney Genie was something that was announced at the, D- at the D23 Expo. Several years ago, uh, and I think they announced it without really knowing what it is. Uh, so they've defined what it is. Typical. And uh, I'm gonna, I'll go through that, and then we're gonna talk about it for the better part of the next six hours. So <laughs> we, 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 I asked the question at the outset of us recording the show, uh, or as we were prepping for this show, do we want to do Disney Genie and the Animal Kingdom show as the same one? And uh, you're gonna see the timestamp on this. If this is under an hour and a half, I'd be shocked. I'm going to guess it's going to be another two to two and a half hour show. Um, But anyway, Disney Genie is a complimentary service that will be integrated into my Disney experience. (sighs) That is the blanket statement that they can put out there. Uh, and say, hey, it's a complimentary service. So the very basic Disney Genie service professes to be a planning tool that will take your favorite attractions and optimize recommendations for you in real time. And those recommendations may not necessarily include those favorite attractions.
1: Right. <laughs>
0: important Important
1: you, you asterisk like, on yep. this one.
0: You like Space Mountain. Go experience Carousel of Progress. Right. It's near Space Mountain. You can look at it. Anyway, uh, I anticipate side-by-side comparisons of touring plans, who so I'm sure will have uh, – I, I threw this out there, at one twenty-fifth of the total development cost and, and be a better product. I know definitively that it is less than that. Uh, but that was what my initial suggestion was. Anyway, uh, Disney Genie Plus is a component of Disney Genie. And uh, our Disney bingo naming hopper has uh, – I think we've got a 100 uh, ping pong balls in there, 50 of them say Plus plus and the rest are magic wish uh, uh, imagine things like that so uh, we add on a plus to anything and that makes it infinitely better uh, the original title of this was fast pass plus plus genie but hellscape
1: they- uh, narrowly got defeated by the other descriptors
0: so Disney Genie Plus is the name of their new FastPass replacement. And as they sold this, they explicitly referenced MaxPass out in Disneyland, which I thought was interesting. And they did acknowledge this is replacing the current FastPass Plus system as well as the MaxPass systems uh, in Disney World and Disneyland. So what it is, if you are listening to the show, I'm sure you're well aware. Uh, but for the six of you that are not aware of this, I'll go through it. It is a paid service where most attractions will be available for booking day of using a digital version of the Fastpass system. It was sold to the, it was sold to the public (laughs) as being similar to MaxPass. The cost in Disney World is $15 per person per day. It can be a day of add-on for annual pass holders. It does not appear to be an option for annual pass holders that add it for the length of the ticket. And then you can purchase the add-on at midnight on the day of your trip. All guests can make the first Genie Plus selection at 7 a.m. for the next available spot. So it will follow pretty much the MaxPass rules, which for those of you that are familiar with the Paper FastPass rules are very similar. Uh, so if you've got something uh, for, say, a high-demand attraction, uh, let's say Splash Mountain, uh, their return time is four hours out. Under the old Paper FastPass systems, you get your... Uh, fast pass It's four hours out and you could get another fast pass in two hours. The max pass rules were that you could get another fast pass in an hour and a half. Disney has not specified um, on attractions that are further out than your return window what that uh, window will be, but it seems that it'll be very similar to the MaxPass system. The uh, biggest difference, though, are the individual attraction selections. And I think more than anything, this is probably what is upsetting people. Uh, these are additional upcharge attractions where guests can schedule up to two additional attractions per day that are considered premium attractions. And I use that choice of words uh, deliberately, and I'll go into that uh because touringplans.com... Can I ask specula- a question?
1: Did you throw finger quotes when you said it?
0: I did not, actually. <laughs> but it, I says up, it says up to two additional attractions per day. So touringplans.com, um, the woman's name, it's Julia something, I, I apologize if I forget her last name, but she wrote an article kind of going through and breaking this all down pretty thoroughly. And in that article, she did speculate that the two attractions per park, and that's, again, an inference that people have made would be for Magic Kingdom, Space Mountain, and Mine Train, for Epcot, Test Track, and Ratatouille, for Hollywood Studios, Slinky Dog, and Rise of the Resistance, and for the Animal Kingdom, Flight of Passage, and and Kilimanjaro Safaris. I believe that is speculation. Speculation based on logic, but still speculation, and not anything where touring plans has inside information to know definitively that those are the attractions. What we do know, though, are that on the demo that they showed, that both Space Mountain and Mine Train were indicated as upcharge attractions on that demo. Um, but I also think that those eight attractions, let's say that that is what they start with, that that will be a fluid a fluid collection. And I, I'll use Splash Mountain as an example. As they near the closure of that attraction, I could absolutely see that supplanting Space Mountain as the up, as one of the upcharge attractions for the Magic Kingdom. No, it's going to be, be Tron. Space well, mountain going to so, be Placeholders will Tron. Well, I, I I agree that Tron will be on there as well. Let's say when uh, the month leading up to Splash Mountain closing, that you've got Tron open, Splash Mountain, Seven Dwarves Mine Train. It's possible that Splash Mountain becomes more popular than Mine Train from a demand standpoint uh, as you lead up to its closure. I could see Splash Mountain becoming a uh, an upcharge attraction temporarily towards the end of its life. Well, but- that would that would think that you're thinking like this regime cares
2: about what guests do because i i'm pretty convinced splash mountains is just going to close like next tuesday
0: out of nowhere that's fair that's fair but the <laughs> they,
2: they don't uh, care about they don't care about history they don't care about people wanting to
0: do it one more they don't care it's just uh, the, you know we can That's go into Thursday. that speculation in a bit, um, <laughs> but I, I just wanted to say that 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 information is out there, and people are taking it as fact that those are going to be the eight attractions. That is not necessarily true, and it's also entirely possible that one or more, more parks only have one upcharge attraction.
1: Wouldn't you expect this to be dynamic as well? Like, I don't think yeah, this absolutely. is going to be a static thing because absolutely, if you're them from an operations perspective, it, you're you're trying to shape demand, right? Yeah. And I think this is really complicated, and you really need data to actually parse it out and figure out what it is they're trying to do. <laughs> but from a to oversimplify it a bit, I would describe it as that you've built this, you know, multi-hundred acre complex, thousands of acre complex, mm-hmm. and but the distribution of people is not even because there are certain things that are more appealing to them to others. Now the question that's hard is why is a particular attraction appealing, and the obvious answer management has
0: no idea and that's part of the problem. Well, but they want to have
1: an idea, right? And there's a lot of answers that are that that are potentially correct. The obvious one is, well, it's what people want to do the most, but that's oversimplistic because Add it's a combination that's of that's what people like when people walk past a ride that has an attraction that has a wait time of 5 minutes when they're headed for one that they might want to do more that has a wait time of 90 minutes, there is some percentage of the populace that's in that park that's going to go do the low-hanging fruit because they think that's a better opportunity. So, And because Disney Genie told them to. Well, exactly right. So, what you're largely trying to do, I think, is to take this blob of people that you have Mm -hmm. and give them incentives that are different than their simple, pure desire to ride a particular attraction and give them some other type of carrot-like incentive to ride different things so that... Essentially, and again, I'm stealing from Len slightly here, but this is an idea that's, that I've been puttering around and not expressing particularly clearly for a long time. What you're really trying to do is get a more uniform distribution of guests that are paying a lot of money without actually having to spend more capital to build new attractions in the park. You want to get oh, better utilization out of the underutilized areas of the park and you do that by shaping their behavior by creating disincentives for them to go to the places that are already saturated and creating positive incentives for them to go that was redundant uh, to places (laughs) that are that are less densely populated,
0: right? You're, you're hitting on a fundamental issue with FastPass. And before we dive deeper into that, I want to go through the rest of the announcement and then we can kind of dissect it and give our opinions on it and that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, you're, you're 100% right. You're hitting on what has always been the fundamental issue with FastPass that, yes, the idea of spreading out the crowds is part of it, but... Is it the best way to do it? But anyway, uh, right. other information about this on those individual attraction selections, which is what they are calling it uh, officially, resort guests can schedule their selections beginning at 7 a.m. All other guests can make their selections when they enter the park. The Lightning Lane is the replacement of the Fast Pass queue in oh. Disney Genie Plus and individual I, attraction I gotta selections. I got
1: yep. Is there anything more Six flag sounding than Lightning Lane?
0: Uh, no, not really.
1: It's pretty weak. Oh my god! Come on, people. That you, you've got the best marketing people in the world, and that is what you came up with. Oof. <laughs>
0: uh, well, I said FastPass Plus Plus, so way better than Lightning Lane. <laughs> in individual attraction selections, will utilize this. Uh, the signage will all have to change from FastPass Plus to Lightning Lane uh, to give you an idea on how. Late in the game, they probably came up with that name. Uh, the signage for Ratatouille currently says FastPass+. Plus. The uh. other component of this that was glossed over uh, but uh, certainly affects my family with uh, an autistic man in my family is the Disability Access Service has also undergone some changes. Uh, one of them is they've fully digitized the system. So if anybody hasn't – if people haven't used this before – Typically, you would see it all on the My Disney Experience app. But if you wanted to get a return time for an attraction, you would go to that attraction, or you would go to Guest Services. And in recent years, they've put in uh, kiosks around where their cast members manning them, and you tell them what attraction you want. And let's say you want to go on Space Mountain, and it's got an hour wait. Uh, they will give you a return time that is fifty minutes out. They would take the uh, whatever the wait time is, subtract ten minutes. It might be fifteen. I'm actually not not sure. And say you can return any thereafter. So by fully digitizing the system, it's actually putting that authority in the hands of the guests themselves. So if you have access to the disability service, you can look at the app and say Space Mountain has a 60-minute wait. I want to ride Space Mountain in, uh, in an hour as does my uh, person in my party with a disability. I can do that from my phone. I don't need to trek over to Space Mountain if I'm on the other side of the park. That, uh, as somebody that has done that run to keep things transparent for my brother, is certainly welcome, because anything that involves me running is frowned upon. (laughs) The other component of this that is... Probably an unnecessary step, but I think is going to be very welcome for a lot of locals who uh, utilize the disability system is that guests can schedule a video call for two to 30 days ahead of their trip to set up their disability pass in lieu of stopping at guest relations. I think a lot of this too is to reduce the line at guest relations. I would imagine that the bulk of the people waiting in line at guest relations are there for disability pass related things. But the other component of. I would call this an absolute positive. Yeah i uh, the one other few one of the, we're talk one about the component today. of this is that if you have if you've been pre-approved for the disability pass you can schedule two attractions per day ahead of time and it seems like <laughs> this might have been done for the express purpose of continuing to depreciate the infrastructure of fastpass plus. It really yep. wouldn't surprise me if that is the motivation behind this because it does seem like this is a scheduling component, whereas everything else for, for, uh, for Lightning Lane is next available. Although I think the premium upcharge ones you can schedule as well. So they're perhaps keeping that in line just so that yeah. you can, uh, so that they can maintain that infrastructure as something of value. Uh, there is conflicting information on the website that indicates that if you do uh, schedule attractions um, ahead of time, that you are unable to get additional attractions uh, on the day of the service. I've read that 12 different ways, but I believe the way that it's written is, yes, you can schedule two things ahead of time, and once you have utilized those two attractions, then you can get a third attraction using the day of disability pass. I could be mistaken there. Disney has not, that question has Does, not been doesn't pointed. Doesn't that to,
1: sort of remind you of the original paper fast pass system, though? S- you, similarly, yeah. But that, you've got to be able to keep getting another
2: one, because it doesn't make any sense. Like, the yeah. the reason you get the pass is because you can't, wait in the lines. And so therefore, if you schedule two and you can't do any more the rest of
0: the day, you know... <laughs> well, well I, I think, and I'm, I'm with you on that assumption, Ben, but it's, it's an either-or proposition where you either... It, the, uh, the other option is you can schedule two and not get any additional, or you just get them day of and next available. And the way that it works, even if it's something that's got a four-hour wait, you're never going to walk into the park at 9 a.m., or at park opening, whenever it is, and be shut out of an attraction with the exception of Rise of the Resistance, which doesn't operate using this system. So I I don't know that there's a huge risk there, but to your point, I believe that at the very least, once you've utilized those two pre-booked disability reservations, then you can get a third one. But it's possible that you can get a third one day of, even if you haven't used those two that you've scheduled. See, to me, I think that, To me, it comes across more as an incentive to do all this
2: before you get there. Mm -hmm. You know, just take the time to do this over online. We'll give you two passes to get it started. It keeps you out of our guest relations line in the park. So it it, like you're doing this because you need for customers. Yeah, and and yeah, limiting it to even if it's worded that way has to be some kind of mistake because you. I think it's worded poorly. Yeah, the people who need this need it for everything all day like that's yeah, that's, that's right. the reason that's, that's they right. have it not just for two rides and then oh the rest of the day i'm gonna go wait in the regular queue for everything else that's that's not these aren't free fast passes uh the, right. you, they, they need this and so it, it i think it's the it, it incentivizes people to do all this ahead of time so they don't have to you know honestly part of it's staffing if there's less yeah. people in line at guest relations that's one or two less people they have to pay all day absolutely you know, in those positions. So, yeah, I think it's just poor, awarded poorly uh, because otherwise nobody I don't think any. Why, why would you do it ahead of time as opposed to do it in the park and using being able to use the pass the way you need to use it for, for those guests all day long?
0: Yeah, I imagine we will know because I, I think the, the plan has, uh, is Disney Genie is going to be launching, if not October 1st, around October 1st, give or take a couple of weeks, is my guess. And we will know soon enough Uh, That question will be asked and answered by somebody on that video call with um, the Disability Access Service rep. So I I think you're correct, Ben, that uh, it will not limit you. The question is just can you book that day of while still retaining the two that you pre-booked or not? But either way, I think all of these – and we're getting into opinion now on the Disability Access Service – are very welcome changes uh, for the for the grassy family, and I'm sure that people uh, that need the pass for whatever the reason may be, but certainly for uh, guests with autism, are gonna are gonna appreciate this because it yep. does kind of revert back to the old GAC days where you yep. can just show up to an attraction and go. And they Disney pointedly stated at the outset. I think it was. Um, uh, now the name uh, escapes me, but the uh, the woman that was a head of Parks and, uh, not head of Parks and Resorts, but head of Walt Disney World, uh, Meg something. That's right, Meg Crofton. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. She flat out said on the Disney Parks blog, "This was being abused. That's why we're changing it." Um, so the disability access service itself, I think we're kind of all on board with all of these things, but we primarily have opinions on other areas of this the public reaction on genie plus has been very negative there are three videos on the disney youtube channel and at least one of them is the most disliked video on the channel i think the other two are probably two and three on the channel so i'm gonna hand it over to you guys for your opinions your thoughts on it uh josh why don't you kick us off with your takeaways from their announcement and what your expectations may be
1: sure I think that I, I've made this comparison before, but I'm going to make it again now to launch this. There used to be an advertising campaign within Coca Cola that everyone drank the same Coke.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think this was in the 60s or 70s, but the, the campaign was, you know, it would show the Pope and the President and the King and CEOs and professionals. Wasn't that a lie, assistants. by the way? <laughs> uh, I don't think so. But, you know, you drink. Coca-Cola Coke wasn't something
0: is, where like they would uh, skewer. Really t- I know I am. I re- it's what I do. <laughs> where they tailored it to like uh, different taste palates uh, depending on the country? I
1: don't have data on that, so I can't. Anyway, comment. continue. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be shocked. But the advertising campaign certainly was that whether you're a billionaire or a kid on the street. Is that
0: the one with me, Joe? Gr- Sorry.
1: <laughs> <sighs> it feels like I'm doing Kingdom Cast. <laughs> the, the point was, everyone has the same experience when you enjoy a Coke. Mm-hmm. and there's a lot of power in that message because sure. it appeals literally to everyone, which is, uh, you know, a pretty big accomplishment in the world of marketing. And I think that Walt Disney world used to have that sense to it where life was hard and not everyone's life is similar or comparable for most of the time. But when you would go to Disney world, everyone was having a shared experience and there was a, a similarity there in an, uh, sort of egalitarian experience that I think was what was neat. Everyone was sharing this together and increasingly, and this is certainly something we've talked about a lot. Disney has done a tremendous amount to stratify the experience. And I think some of it is reasonable because there are people who are affluent and they're, they make a lot of money and they have a lot of disposable income and they, they expect deluxe accommodations so if you're running a entertainment industry like disney you have to cater to those people it would be foolish not to but you don't only want to cater to them because there are people who aren't as fortunate financially and you need to create economy experiences and you need to create experiences for what is probably the fat part of the bell curve which is the people in the middle which is why we have moderate resorts all of those things make total sense but it seems to me that there was a perversion of that mindset to where what Disney essentially decided to do is essentially ignore the overwhelming majority of Americans who make a household income of probably less than $75,000 a year and cater instead to a very small subset of the American population. Now, granted, it's a global company. I understand that. I don't have the data to really analyze this globally, but I have spent a lot of time recently on household and individual income, both median and average calculators to try and figure out who it is that this company is actually, uh, you know, directing their marketing efforts at. And Tim and I, you and I talked about it offline and you said you thought the number was about $150,000 household income and up.
0: And I think this is a conscious choice. Absolutely a conscious choice. I, I do too.
1: And you can sort of understand it from a purely business perspective because if they can extract, you know, three or four X the money from a wealthy guest as they can from a middle class guest, then their profit margin goes up by serving that more affluent subset of the population because they can serve them with less infrastructure. So their costs are lower. So their profit margin is going to be higher. Right, But I think what's important to realize is that the only reason that the company has the ability to do that is because they have built the loyalty and the goodwill and the market share they have by serving the world as a whole.
0: Right. So serve
1: more people, and yeah, it just strikes me as a change that is very blind, almost willfully blind to what made them great, in order to do a very short-term cash grab from a captive audience that has the disposable income to overpay for everything.
0: Can I throw and something out at you guys? Of course. Uh, I interrupt uh, you all
1: the time. I would expect you to bark I've already in.
0: interrupted you nine times, but.
1: You've been pretty bad tonight,
0: Ron. Yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> let's say that the Disney genie announcement was set aside the upcharge attractions, but the, the, uh, the genie plus component of it that is, you know, 85 to 90% of the rides. Let's say that that was free. But on the same day, they also bumped up ticket prices across the board $15. What would the reaction be? Would it be different?
1: I mean, that's a good question. And obviously,
0: all that's we effectively do is what they're doing. That's effectively I, I, what they're doing here.
2: I think it would be different because we're used to tickets going up in price. Mm-hmm. We're not used to that big of a jump, but we're used to it.
1: The, the problem Whereas I see is that. So there's a there's two things you can justify a ticket price increase for in mm-hmm. my mind, and correct me if you have something else. One is just inflation; the value yep. of money goes down, so you have to to jack the ticket. I get that. The other is that you're providing more value. Yep. The problem I have with what Disney has done with Genie with Genie Plus in particular is that it seems like neither of those are the basis for it. It simply is an arbitrary increase because they can. It's a stranglehold on the market. It is the sort of monopolistic. It, it's no different than who is that guy Sh- Sh- Shrekley? I think was his last name. I can't yeah, remember his first it. name. That's it. Yep. He bought that pharmaceutical company. Shkreli. Sh- th- Shkreli. Sh- yeah. yeah. It, it, it's a very <laughs> inscrutable name, but it doesn't really matter. The point is, you know, he became the CEO and he jacked up the price of a medication yeah. from like fifteen dollars a pill to like three thousand dollars a pill. Yeah. Because there was no alternatives. This is the sort, of, and that was met with you know, uh, sweeping condemnation.
0: <laughs> and so
1: M- is this. Moderate
0: pushback. <laughs>
1: moderate pushback. Wait,
0: is Bob Chapek going to go to jail? Possibly. <laughs> so you're you're hitting on something. You're kind of dancing around it. Uh, I, I am, and I apologize si- since, for that. Since you're normally the mansplainer on here, I want to jump in and, and mansplain Whoa. it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they, they were in an all-inclusive model. We've talked about this on yep. a multitude of different things where – Let's let's look at Magical Express as a perfect example of this, where you are getting Magical Express for free. But really, that was included as part of the built-in price for the hotel. So we now know that Magical Express uh, mirrors would charge, what is it, $32 per round trip. Let's assume yeah. Disney's price was half that. So that $16 a head is built into the cost of your room of course. each night. And now that they've stripped out Magical Express, they didn't drop the corresponding resort price by $32. And that's something that Disney is doing and that they're failing at doing is that they – or they're they're, they're trying to do at least – is they took things that were part of this all-inclusive trap you on property component and they built it all into something that was for everybody and everybody was kind of on that equal footing. Now they're uh, partitioning it all out – not removing the corresponding price. If they broke this down and said, "All right, we're going to drop ticket prices by fifteen dollars, but if you want FastPass, that's going to be your additional fifteen dollars," then I think that will be met with different uh, different reaction to everything as well. Where they're trying to have both sides of the uh, uh, of the argument here, where they wanted in two thousand five to trap you on property, and they built their pricing model accordingly, and then now they have built in those additional costs into the cost of that ticket price. And then now that they've stripped out those things and are charging you more for it, they didn't reduce the cost of the ticket price. They just said, people are already assuming that this is the cost of a ticket and we're now getting less for that ticket.
1: So that's right. Yeah.
0: I I think that to me,
1: and I think you were accurate, I'm dancing around it and I have been for years on these podcasts, but what I really think the, the problem here is that, A lot of people that are of high income, disposable income, young parent age today are overpaying for a Disney experience because they were convinced that it was worth it when they were children. Sure. The problem is I don't think that can jump a generation. I think if what you're doing is price gouging people now that there's going to be an expiration date on when people are willing to just blindly fork out money because they have this, uh, you know, deep rooted, uh nostalgic connection to the parks. And I, I I I think that they're burning their goodwill at a very high rate. And yep. that's something that doesn't trans, it doesn't it doesn't translate well to a shareholder call when you're burning. No, it doesn't.
0: I think so we uh this is now the forty seventh mention of Len. He said on the latest show he doesn't think this lasts five years. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think it goes into the Fastpass Plus timeline as well, where these were all things that were, what was the motivation here? They didn't want to get into an attraction building war with Universal. So they're trying to come up with with ways to circumvent that by doing anything and everything but building attractions. Mm -hmm. When they had the next gen project, which they spent two billion plus on, it didn't compete with Universal at the level that they wanted to do. They didn't data mine like they wanted to. And it's been revealed uh, recently that there may have been some problems with that. And I don't have all of the details on that. But uh, perhaps... Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, the, perhaps uh, some of those Magic Band uh, readers that were placed throughout the queue were not as effective at tracking your movement in the parks as Disney wanted them to be. But anyway, the end result of all that was Disney was forced to build new attractions and and they spent two billion dollars in the next gen <laughs> project. So mission fucking accomplished. They yeah. that very well may happen here as well. Now, having said that, let's take a step back and you know step away from the theories of it. Yay or nay? Where do you guys sit on the uh, on this? Say relative to. Uh, Fast Pass Plus relative to other systems like Max Pass or Legacy Fast Pass, where do you sit on that? Because I I put a definitive right, well, line. before you answer,
1: let it. me throw mine out since I I had go the floor. It, yeah. I'll get my answer and then I, then I will then I will uh, cede the floor.
2: I, I'm gonna be over here booking my Universal trip while you guys talk. So okay. <laughs> go ahead, okay. go ahead, Josh.
1: I think that if you go from ticket books to the all inclusive model, that that was an upgrade. I think everything after that has been worse with the exception, arguably, of the paper fast pass system. Okay. I think the problem and, and here's where things get more complicated. I think that the paper fast pass system was better than the, you know, totally egalitarian, equal access to everyone system for people who were educated enough about how the system worked to use it properly.
0: I think for everyone All of else, these systems were exploited by those that were more educated about it. Which will always happen promoted, with yeah. any system with anything. So that's the, that's
1: the the problem starts to be if you look at the average knowledge level of a guest. When the baseline level of information you need is higher than what your typical first time guest has, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. And I and I, I think the paper fast pass system was arguably an upgrade, but I think everything after that has had such a steep learning curve to be dismissible as being a poor choice right from the right from the get-go and i think that genie plus is by an order of magnitude worse than anything that has come before it the learning curve the i mean if you look at what the basic i I disagree with that sentiment
0: but i will let you finish
1: okay thanks kanye Uh,
0: Um, i'm gonna let you finish but (laughs) i think that fast fast is the worst thing of all time
1: You really are, Kanye. The value proposition of Disney has always been escapism. It's letting people get away from the challenges of real world life. Mm -hmm. And what they have increasingly done is create complexity and difficulty and planning and logistics and finance and all the sorts of things that people don't like about the real world. And they've baked them in to the Disney vacation experience. And that, to me, is a very poor strategy because it – it diminishes the degree of difference in terms of overall stress that exists between your nine to five job at Shitco international that you work at and your incredibly expensive Disney vacation. Um, And I just don't think that that is a sustainable business model.
0: I think uh, you hit on something that has always been a problem with fast pass back to the nineties when it was introduced. And that is the complexity of it. That uh, if you walk in, totally ignorant of it, it probably takes you at least a day to figure it out. And that is sure. assuming that you recognize that it is a free service for you. Yeah, Ben, exactly. ben mentioned uh, that he's booking his trip to Universal and if you, we've all been to theme parks around the world I'll uh, Six Flags is getting another mention today. Their fast lane system has seventeen different tiers and is also complex. <laughs> but seventeen tiers. It, like, you, if you look at it, it's ridiculous. Like at, Ma- at Magic Mountain, they have I think they've got one tier where you you don't lose any line, but it's basically like. The, the DAS system where you just wait but not in the line. Then you've got another tier where it's 50% of the wait time is cut in half. and Then you go in with like your Tamagotchi and they'll scan you in. And then the next step <laughs> is 90% of your wait is cut. Then there's 90% and you can ride twice, which I did once with a friend of the show, Hunter Nixon. And after like three hours. Mountain? Yeah. Uh, did after, you ever ride X 2 I did. It's phenomenal. That's a great, that's a great uh, and, ride. And you know what? That That's effectively what this model is too. And I was going to get so, into that. <laughs> One
2: thing to mention on Flash Pass, since you mentioned it though, and I think this is what my biggest problem, and I can't believe I'm going to say this with with uh, Genie Plus, you know, I li- I live 15 minutes from Six Flags over Texas. Yep. Now I have never used the Flash Pass system ever. Yep. There's two reasons for that. One, the regular lines typically not that bad. They continue to move pretty normal rate because. Unlike the old FastPass system, there wasn't a FastPass lane clogging everything up. Now, while there is still a flash, a flash pass lane on all these Six Flags rides, their price point is fifty dollars is the cheapest one.
0: Yeah, it's my, it's, it's my worry. They price a lot
2: of people out of it. They do, and so at that point, I'm like, nah, I'm not doing that. My my worry with Genie Plus, you know, you and I just came back from a trip where standby lines. We didn't need a fast pass because we moved through everything so easily because right. again, there was nothing clogging it up. I've seen too many videos talking about, well, nobody's going to buy this Genie Plus. So the, the, this is actually going to help standby continue to move. I disagree with that.
1: Yeah. At $15 I don't think that's dollars per
2: person. I think that freaking that Genie Plus line is going to be back the hell up at all times. And we're going to go back to the days to where we are seeing normal to exceedingly long standby lines because.
0: They didn't price this too high.
2: That's as an, much that's as I hate point. to say
0: that. That's a marketing thing, too. And uh, uh, as the resident uh, person that went to business, business school here, I had a professor, a marketing professor, that was a big wig at Gillette. And uh, amongst other things, he was uh, the guy that had the idea of sending out the Gillette Mach 3 razors to uh, to men on their 16th birthday. Yeah, and that's the what was called loss
1: leader pricing.
0: Uh, but that, that was one of his ideas. But the other story that I remember him telling that resonated with me is when the switch was made to the disposable heads for um, for men's razors. And what happened is they, they sold it, they sold the blades, and the issue was – that they they figured that they could make the money on selling the replacement blades, which they still currently do to this day. But back in the day, the disposable razors, where the entire unit was disposable, was significantly cheaper. And what they had, what they found, they had to do was reach a certain price point on the handle in order to get people to continue to use it and feel that they needed to recoup their investment in the, the handle sunk
1: cost fallacy.
0: Exactly. So it's the exact same logic here. I think we're going to see. Uh, the comparison to max pass needs to be better explained here that max pass in disneyland worked in uh concert with the legacy fast pass system out there if you uh paid the 15 dollars or i think uh ultimately um before it was removed uh when covid shut down the parks 20 dollars uh, you would have access to a digitized version of the legacy system, but the legacy mm-hmm. system still existed mm-hmm. and Max pass allowed you or gave you the opportunity to not have to trek around the parks huge advantage uh, and for if you were getting something for radiator Springs racers and it was five hours out, you could get another max pass within an hour and a half whereas if you got a paper version, you had to wait two hours for it so, the idea of it working in concert with legacy fast pass as an upcharge for a slightly better convenience made some sense but for me i think that yes i we we asked for 80 we asked for max pass when we talked about this we anticipated an upcharge version we asked pointedly for max pass a fully digitized this isn't quite that no but ben why don't why don't you go through your opinions of it cuz I, uh, well, I i don't want to step on your toes i you haven't talked much on this uh, I'm booking my stay at, uh, the Hard Rock Hotel, so, okay. uh, no.
2: Yeah, I mean, one- Where do it, you, it, where
0: does it slot for you from, like, the various systems that they've had?
2: I, I, I've been on record saying I love MaxPass. Pass.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I loved it. I also liked Legacy FastPass because, what it did I mean, it, it did keep some of the spontaneity in your day, uh, you didn't have to do the planning, the, the, the not the fast pass plus version. The, the, the actual go there have to go to every ride to get yeah, your yeah, ticket. Yeah. the earlier you got there, the more rides you got to do. You got the better selections. Uh, I really didn't have a problem, you know, at DCA getting up super early to get my radiator Springs ones, just to, to guarantee sure. I did it. Uh, early bird gets the warm, whatever you want to say, but at least throughout the day, you know, you, you had the return times. Everybody was playing with a, with a level playing field. As far as like the time, like the, the, The chances at getting things now. If you knew how to run the system better than others, yes, you 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 got more out of it. But the the park would open with a certain level for everybody to get access to, and whoever got them got them, and when they were out, they were out. It was it was even across the board. I didn't mind that at all, to be totally honest with you. Uh, This version. They gave me what I asked for. I hate to say it. You know, <laughs> on our last show. It's kind of what I'm I, getting at here. Yeah. The, the last show I said I didn't want Paris. I didn't want every single thing mm-hmm. to be a different price point, nickel and dime across the board. Tell me what I'm going to have to pay up front so I can budget it and go. Mm-hmm. And we got that for what, 80% of the attractions? Yeah. you know, that's about 80% of MaxPass. Yeah. So I got what I asked for. The price point. Isn't insanely obnoxious, which is a good thing, but it's also, I think it's a terrible thing because I do, I am one of those that I think that if you want to do a lot of rides and attractions, you're going to have to pay for this mm-hmm. because the ones that don't get this are going to be stuck to that standby line. And I do think we're going to see standby lines go back to what they were with the fast pass Plus and the legacy yep. side where standby lines sucked.
1: And you know uh, yeah. what's interesting they- is that because of all the fast pass stuff, we have data about what the typical guest considers to be an acceptable number of rides to do in a day. And yep. as I recall, it was about 10. Yeah. So, if you do the math, <laughs> you're basically talking about a first-class Disney experience being about $300 a day.
0: By the way, name the uh, parks that have more than 10 rides <laughs> after the Magic Kingdom because <laughs> there aren't any. Yep. Yeah. And I think once this starts, if
2: you don't have – Genie Plus, you're not doing ten rides a day. I, I, ju- think I that's just, right. uh, you're not going to be able. You might well, be able to, ten marquee rides. You're going to be doing teacups and Correct. Barnstormer and stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. So
1: Aladdin four times. Uh,
2: now, two things to come.
0: We don't know the price points yet on the Lightning Lane attractions. There is speculation in that same touring plans article. Four dollars to twenty four dollars was the <laughs> price, was the selection.
1: Twenty four dollars is. Uh, really, I mean, you're talking mob mob level extortion. But you know what?
2: I was thinking fifty dollars for Rise of the Resistance. Oh, so I'm shocked. Actually, twenty four is the high end at the speculative uh, speculative point uh, per person.
1: Da- how many kids do you have again?
2: Okay, but see, yeah, I, I get that. Here's here's where I'm coming from a little bit as well. So, f- say I don't know. Say say uh, Space Mountain is. Six bucks a head to walk mm-hmm. on and do it right away. You know what's $7 a piece? A blue milk. Yep. Uh, so I'm going to look at my kids and go, kids, you guys want to get, you know. Yeah, you got to make those choices. Milks, That's going to happen. Or do you guys want to go walk on Minnie and Mini's Runaway Railway? And Mini, it'll be one of the Mini other. Minnie
0: Mini's is the uh, porn follow-up. Mini and Mini's. Yep. Mini, <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> so. They did. Again, that's another level where they almost didn't price some of these things high enough to discourage some people from doing it. If you're going to price these out, I almost want it to be the richest of the rich to do it because that means we're not all on that. No, you know, very few are at that level. So again, it doesn't clog up that lane as much. And let's I want to live in a world where standby is not miserable. And but is, is that
0: part of the, uh, the the idea here? That what's four dollars? What's twenty dollars? Right. That sort of thing. I, I think that's absolutely part of it. That I asked this question. I was, I was speaking with um, uh, the guy that owns a pizza shop around the corner from my office, and he just got back from a trip. He left, you know, like a week after Ben and I got back. And I asked him definitively, and Ben, I'll ask you the same question: Do you know within five hundred dollars what you spent on your trip?
2: Jesus Christ, no! Because I want to, I want to look back that I like I actually enjoyed my trip because I know if I do that exactly. math, I'm going to throw up. And that's absolutely what Disney banks on. I
0: and had to buy
2: a new wallet. What you say? I, got, I, I had to buy a new wallet after I got back. <laughs> I am not joking. I wore the fucker out. <laughs> like, was your other <laughs> one violated yeah no but taking it in and out and moving your cards then like how many it's ridiculous how many times you grab your wallet at these things out because it's it's one after another
0: to pay for this to pay for that throughout well, the entire day think of I don't know if you guys are addicted to any uh, uh, mobile games but any yep. of them that have in-app purchases. Yep the the mindset of those in-app purchases is you're not your 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 psychology isn't processing that as a monetary transaction right. even there's though there's a like threshold says, below
1: which you don't realize you spent money
0: right yeah. and I, i've seen this i'm guilty of it myself uh a marvel game that i used to play i would spend ridiculous amounts of money on it and you see this and it is exactly what disney is preying on they are preying on that family and I'll, I'll be blunt I, I waited two and a half hours for flight of passage on the last trip if I had an option to skip that line for 25 bucks I would have done it in a heartbeat it wouldn't it would have made a situation where I had four days in the parks uh, I would have that two hours was worth my 25 dollars absolutely but that was only a single person if I had uh, a family of five with me then I might have thought about it or we might have skipped the ride. So these are all the decisions that are going to be made. And the conversations that we're already having about our fall trip is all right, if we have to pay for any of these up charges, does that mean that we do one less dinner? Does that mean we don't we don't build the uh uh the droids like like Ben and his girls did? Uh these are all the conversations that people are gonna be making, and it's an either-or proposition, but I think mm-hmm. at the end of the day, Disney is gonna be net positive. And it goes back to what the speculation was on some of these rides. So some of them make a lot of sense. If they're putting it on Rise of the Resistance, it makes a ton of sense. Remy's Ratatouille Adventure, new ride, makes a lot of sense. Mind Train, uh, Slinky Dog, uh, popular rides, not super efficient, that all makes sense. But something that's old, like Test Track, are you going to get a lot of buyers? Uh, what that tells me is if I have to pay to get a Fast Pass for Test Track, and they, the other thing, too, is they may eliminate like the single rider line for people like myself yeah. uh, that are older. That just means I'm not riding Test Track anymore. That that's a decision because test track itself as a draw is not a big enough draw for me to either want to wait in the standby line or pay. You know, let's let's say it's four dollars
1: from Disney's perspective. If you stop riding it, is that a win or a loss? I don't. That's a tough question.
0: I mean, as long as there is, that's an interesting thing to see. Like, does do they see a precipitous drop off in test tracks uh, wait time?
1: They're they're increasing the number of moving pieces in this whole analysis by doing right. all of this.
0: And it's all fascinating information. And it's, it's that type of information that the executives like looking at, none of which have set foot in the park as a regular guest. Exactly. But the other exactly. thing that is interesting is you've got your attractions like Rise of the Resistance that is historically up to this point – been very difficult to get on. The hurdles that need to be jumped over to get on that ride are uh, significant. And Ben just threw out a $50 price point. Let's say that that's what they settle in on, on Rise of the Resistance. And I don't think it's going to be that high. I think that $25 ahead very well may be what it is. But then you have something like Kilimanjaro Safaris, which was designed in a way to basically allow everybody that crosses through the turnstiles at the Animal Kingdom to ride that ride. It is, right. the, it is the flagship attraction for that park. So it's not they're not going to get $25 ahead for that because even on your busiest days, that tops out at a 90-minute wait. Um, it's, a, it's a very popular ride. It is very efficient. Uh, but that might be something where the model for profit on a ride like that, assuming that it does have – the individual attraction service is four dollars a head, and they don't necessarily need to get it that much. But somebody might look at a half-hour line since eh, for sixteen bucks for the family, we can get right on this. Yeah. i do that and save half an hour, so, and then so, maybe we can catch the next Lion King show. So, so like things like throw that. A,
1: a, a question that is responsive to the one that you asked me at the beginning of my discussion: If the ideal experience in any park now requires paying. 120 something dollars to get in plus 120 dollars yep. in extras should they just have made the price of admission 250 dollars and make it back what it was before FastPass?
0: i think that's and I, I think that's something that we're we're getting ahead of ourselves here but if we're going to assume that len is correct and our presumptions are correct that this system doesn't last much more than five years the next question is what is the next system yeah, that's and a great I, question, and, and and I think you're you're potentially hitting on it there. Um, I want to go over how I broke this so down I, for I, me. Can, personally. I, can I bring up go just one it. thing real sure. quick? Because you just did. I, I'm done.
2: Uh, <laughs> here's what worries me, because again, going at the price points and me mentioning that it's not priced high enough, I I I don't know if Lens right about the five years not lasting because. Uh, we went over the the the, the magic here, whatever the hell they're calling their passes <laughs> at Disneyland. Uh, and we all – I mean, it's – they raised the prices across the
0: board. You lost a lot of things. You lost a lot Not of benefits. Not entirely true, actually. They they cut things, but like, the second tier, I believe, was lower than the previous okay. second tier without parking, though. That's the right. big thing. Right, so there's,
2: you have added cost onto things that they cut. So at the end of the day, if somebody's going – it's but also – it's a reservation system. It's not like the true annual pass. Like you are limited to yeah. they're doing everything they can to make it as inconvenient for you to go while yep. still charging you what you used to pay to just to go whenever you wanted except for X number of blackout dates. Yes. So they did a lot of things that were like, this isn't good. And then I still, you know, pull up my social feeds yesterday and I'm looking at these idiots waiting, you know, for four hours to get through mm-hmm. and buy the thing. Like it didn't deter people from buying it. And the problem is it's not these are, you know, we, we talk about they're catering to the rich of the rich. They are, mm-hmm. but you know what? The kids living on their credit cards that have, you know, buying forty dollar Mickey earbands and having mm-hmm. fifty of them. They're buying seven lightsabers, not because they're rich, but because they don't know how to manage their money. They're putting it on cards. They're just they're just spending to spend. That's what they're going to do when these things open in the parks. These yeah. the, the, there's people that can't afford twenty five dollars per person to ride Rise of the Resistance are still going to pay twenty five dollars per person to ride Rise of the Resistance and deal with the consequences later, and that is going to affect all of us because that's going to cause longer waits. That's going to cause boarding groups to only get to seventy that day because they have to they have to make sure those people who are paying to get on get on. And it's going to affect the people that aren't paying in a negative way throughout, throughout every experience in the park. And that's, that's something that I'm just super worried about that you've either got to do this or just, I don't know. Don't, don't, it's not going to be like what you experienced before. We we obviously know that. The other thing I want to say is I don't trust that bald headed creep, you know, in the least bit, (laughs) at least with the old legacy fast pass. I, I knew you checking
1: it at hominem.
2: Yeah. <laughs> with with fast pass plus, legacy pass fast pass, you know, with fast pass plus I knew I had at least three fast passes to start my day.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: With Legacy, I knew if I did the system right, I had X number to, to, to get through. I could I could you know budget out my day and get a ton of fast passes throughout the day. Maybe not everybody could do that, but that's I, I knew the system well enough to do that. But if I didn't get a lot of fast passes that day. I didn't pay any money for that. So it's not that big a deal. Like I'm not sitting there going, I didn't get my money's worth. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I trust this company whatsoever that if I pay for Genie Plus and I get up and I book, I get there and I book my first one, nine o'clock for Pirates of the Caribbean. When I pull my phone back out, you know, is there going to be something available at 930 or is JPEG telling them, you know, make sure these people get six of these a day. Like like, how do I know it's not spaced out in a way that's the system's not being manipulated we're to make sure I can't? Enough. That's I I don't trust yeah, this I, company I, I enough to that. go that you know. Oh, you've already done Big Thunder twice today. There's no way we're going to give you a third well, one. Well, uh, my, my family loves doing it. You know, it's all done through computers now. It's all is there are there triggers to the 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 set off algorithms to do whatever to to manipulate the system with the old paper fast pass? Yeah, I could get off and do it again and do it again and do it again if I chose to do that do if, certain if things over If and over. your
1: question is, is this company using technology in order to maximize the amount of revenue that they're extracting from guests, I assure you that the answer is yes.
0: Yep. And Whether they're I'm doing not, it correctly, though, is uh, another question. Exactly. I
1: don't think that that's necessarily wrong. The problem comes in when they are sacrificing the guest experience for that. And I can just tell you, as a guest, I, I mean, I openly admit, that I'm not qualified to opine about a lot of things about operations because I don't have inside information. But now we're looking at it from the guest perspective, and I am a guest, so I'm perfectly qualified to comment on that. And I'm having a really hard time justifying going to Disney right now because Mm -hmm. as someone who is fortunate enough to make way more than the national median income, I I can't really afford to go have a first-class experience there anymore.
2: So we have our big family trip next summer. Set up. We will be going for there's that what, four, eight, 12, 14 of us. My sisters, my parents, we do this every three years. We have DVC points. Mm-hmm. Uh, we budgeted out so you know the room's kind of whatever taken care of. The news this came out that day, I I sent a note to my sisters to explain to them hey, this is what you're used to spending, this is what it's gonna cost now for those same
1: experiences. And what was mm-hmm. the difference?
2: It, it was – I mean, they're used to having fast passes. They're used yep. to, to using this. I was like, hey. How long was that? this trip? This is a seven-day trip. Okay. I but, said – But
1: monetary – if you could break it down by a by-day difference, how much – per day, per person, what are we talking?
2: Well, if they want Genie Plus just for the minimum level, it's what, $15, 15 per person yeah. per day. So, you know, I told them hey, seven days, each of you have four of you in your party. This is what it's going to cost you not trying to deter you one way or the other. I'm just giving you this information to, so you can start budgeting properly because you're not used to having to pay for this upcharge for this experience. My second note after that was, Hey, by the way, universal, you know, (laughs) here's (laughs) what it would do to, to do express pass and the same, you know, maybe, maybe we don't go to Disney, the full seven days. Maybe you budget it down a little bit and we can go to universal and do, here's express pass for unlimited passes for all of the attractions with no res- no restraints on it whatsoever, this is what it would cost, and that discussion is happening right now amongst my family. I I go let's, enough. Let's move I don't into really, that. So yeah, I, I I was just saying I go enough either way that it's not going to affect me what we choose one way or the other. But they don't go all the time, and they are definitely weighing the: do we want to spend this much for Disney, or do we want to do we want to spend this much for Universal? Because there is a definite difference in price at this uh, right now.
0: Yep. So I, I know that I wanted to go back to uh, uh, some of my overall thoughts on it, but you mentioned Universal, so let's hit that because that is a very big uh, component of all this. And if I'm if I had any authority at Universal, I would smell uh, blood oh in the my water God. here yep. because Hell yeah. because it, right now Disney it has never been more vulnerable. Yep. Uh, Universal is building a third gate. They are opening up a new e-ticket annually. And first thing I would have done, and it's entirely possible this took place, when Disney announced that Magical Express was opening, I would have had mirrors on the phone that that day, that hour, that minute. <laughs> and I yeah. would have said, uh, what is it going to take to get the contract to have you drop people off at Universal's Resorts? Yep, I agree. I would have done that. Uh, move one. Second move is I would have looked into the my Disney uh, sorry the magic yearway ticket structure yep. over at Universal and I would have said after day four, every additional day, three to five dollars. Yep. and you continue your day that way. Look into all of those things that Disney is stripping out. Universal doesn't have the infrastructure to fundamentally change the way that their front of the line access works, but with the third park, maybe they do. When that third park comes online, do you expand the Express Pass guarantee beyond those original three resorts or perhaps introduce a system that people uh, can further utilize the Express Pass, an Express Pass light version that uh, if you're staying at the resorts, you get Uh, a couple of attractions per day where you can use the express lane. Things like that are absolutely things that they should be considering to further incentivize it and also reduce the complications of it. Because in addition to Disney charging more uh, for things that they previously didn't itemize out, uh, one thing that we forgot was the uh, resort parking fees. Um, That was something else that they built in. But uh, Universal has a more simplified approach to these things. If you want their express uh, express pass, you either stay at one of those three resorts or you pay an arm and a leg for it. It is not cheap, but it's also a very simple system. Show up to the attraction, go on now. You don't schedule yep. it an hour out. You don't have a time window. Uh, there's not an availability question. It's do you have express pass? Yes or no. All right, go on this line. That's yep. that's how it works. Yep, yep. So there's a multitude of other things that Universal can be doing, but. If they fail to capitalize on what many are perceiving as Disney's missteps, and I think the Magical Express thing is the biggest one, that if Universal, and it doesn't need to be mirrors, it could be any bus company, or, or Universal can do it itself. God, we know that they're better at transportation than Disney is. If they, if they want to uh, enroll that themselves, then do it and uh, take that over. They've already identified the price point. That's the most valuable component of this. But I imagine that Universal could negotiate that and absolutely step on Disney's throat with these things. But um, I don't know if you guys had other thoughts on what Universal can be doing if Disney just doesn't drive people there themselves. Oh, I mean, uh,
1: no, I think, you nailed. It. I mean, if you're Universal, you have to be you have to be banging the value drum right oh, now. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And yep. to, I mean, let's face it, if you go back two years in this podcast, or at least in the podcast that preceded it where we were all still having the same conversations we were talking about what park was empirically better Mm -hmm. and disney by their own choices have made it to where that's not the analysis anymore now it's about it's about what's there relative to value and because of what disney did universal is now clearly the winner in that in that analysis and i think that's that is a real indictment as to the strategy that disney is employing
0: I, I will I, make I, oh, one devil's advocate argument here. Okay. Uh, something that Universal has failed to do, and I absolutely think they should be doing, is try to cater to a younger demographic. They have not yet done that in any of their parks. And, That's an interesting point. And up until well, the thi- point... That- go ahead.
2: They're, I was going to say, with the, with they're kind of doing that with... Well, two things. Epic Universe has two sections that are going to be very family-friendly and kind of mm-hmm. cater to that. And I also think... You're overshooting the uh, Harry Potter stuff a little bit because Fair. I've got I've got young but ones have that are they have high requirements do. They, they do they uh, do but as far as like, I've I've got one you know even when she couldn't ride the rides she was enamored with those sections and had mm-hmm. the wands and was doing everything else and and Harry Potter definitely caters to that it, it goes much younger than what we probably give it credit uh, it, it seems like that's maybe a, a you know a young Young adult, you know, it's it's a it's they're pretty complicated books. The movies are pretty deep, but that character and that franchise has hit a very very young audience.
0: So, uh, you so know, speaking that- in broad strokes, if you're seven or eight years old uh, or younger, Disney is a better, better environment. Yep, yeah, but as you now, as now you get older, strategy.
1: What seven year olds are driving the yep. vacation decision making?
0: Yep. Uh, their parents of wanting to give them the that magical experience and the perception is still there that it's Disney. And until such time that Universal changes that, uh, I think that's something that they absolutely need to address. I would like to
1: point out that in, in the year 2000, Kodak was a blue chip Fortune 500 company. In
0: and the year 2000. You know, I made more money than them last year. In Kodak the year two, <laughs>
1: Kodak engineers invented the digital camera and their own yep. board of direct board of directors yep. said, put that toy away, that's not what photographers use. Yeah. And that didn't work out well. I, I, I think Disney is Kodaking themselves right now. It's entirely possible. I think that in five to ten years we're gonna look back on the current regime as being extremely arrogant, ignorant, yep. and misguided.
0: They haven't had a Parks guy in leadership yeah. for twenty years. Basically it's about since to Frank, bite him in the balls. Since Frank Wells died, they have not had a Parks person. I, she, I not play A.B.R.
1: Fuck helicopters and <laughs> fuck the current regime.
0: I, the, Disney's playing with
2: fire with, with that, though, because Universal, with their DreamWorks library, with their Illumination library, with their deal with, with Seuss, like, they have – the bullets that they could fire at any point to really turn the corner on making that a family friendly resort.
0: And they're not Uh, afraid to load the gun either. I mean, they absolutely are not
2: like they, they could, they could easily say, you know what, do we need another major e-ticket attraction or what do we do? A nightmare? Uh, uh, Sorry. Uh, (laughs) How the Grinch stole Christmas
0: dark ride. They Uh, built Transformers in 14 months because they could.
2: Yeah. But you know, their, their next play could be, let's do four or five dark and flat rides that are yeah. all kid and family friendly. And all of a sudden we've just doubled our yeah, family friendly attractions.
0: Yep. It's like, it's, it would be the equivalent of Disney. They, uh,
2: they have the characters that seven and eight year olds want to see right yeah, now. Yeah. They do. This isn't coming up with Pi and Dudley Do, right? This is the, the minions. This is how to train your dragon. This is that they've, they've got it, it, again, the, the Seuss movies that are Universal Pictures, those The Secret were Life of Pets ride is a, is a very good looking Secret Life of Red. Pets, it, but each, each you know, like the, 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 the How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Ant- that was a multi, you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that film made. They've mm. got they've got properties that kids uh, gravitate towards big time right now. And Nintendo. I Nintendo mean, is huge. Pokemon. Yeah. They, we haven't even done a Pokemon. Do a Pokemon area. And yep. all of a sudden, those 78 year olds are going Disney, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they want to go do Pokemon.
0: So uh, Universal absolutely has to uh, uh, put the full court press on. That's a basketball term, Josh.
2: Basketball. Give it to me, give it to
0: me. I'm going to dunk it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway,
0: so Universal absolutely needs to put put the pressure on Disney. Saying what you were saying, though,
2: the original question if I'm Universal. I'm sitting back on my uh, Lazy Boys mm-hmm. and just going, you guys keep announcing stuff for a yeah. little bit. Just keep going. Keep going. Keep yeah, going. Yeah, I, I agree what with else you got there. Got? Keep
0: going. Keep. I think they need keep to take going. some then, proactive then- measures.
2: Uh, I I said it on the last show that the, if I were them I'd be starting an ad campaign saying you know Universal a vacation your family can afford that would yeah. be my tagline for the next I, eight. I months. agree, hundred
1: And they should call this uh, customer alienation plus well, because the, that's what it
0: really is.
2: If anybody from Universal is listening to our show right now, here's a free commercial. Y- Universal escape from this. the Disney
0: bubble. Disney bubble. Well.
2: Okay, Universal, we know how snarky they are on their social media accounts. Their Twitter account is fantastic. They have no it. problem taking shots at the They're other second companies. second to Wendy's <laughs> at
1: being douches yeah. online, which I appreciate. If,
2: if, if, if I were them, I would have a commercial. <laughs> Airball. I, would have, <laughs> I would have a commercial starting October 1st. Yep. And this would be running nationwide, and it would be a family walking up to the VelociCoaster and the dad pulling out his wallet, you know, walking up to a, a team member, pulling out his wallet and going, how much does it cost us to ride this ride? And the yep. team member going like, what are you talking about? Yeah, come we don't on do in. that here. We don't do that here. Get in yeah. line. Come ride. And they're like, well, are you what? There's no I don't have to pay anything to ride. No, you already paid. Come yeah. on no, in. That's,
1: that, that would be my commercial. I, I would not, say, fuck I'm not, you, I'm Disney. trying to kiss your ass right now. That. <laughs> that's it. I mean, that is yeah. the that is the campaign. Yep.
0: Yeah. I would do go that over and go over. Go right after
1: him.
2: How much is it for us to go into Harry Potter? Well, you, you already paid to come to the park, sir. Come on in, have
1: fun. What do you think? How now? does Just Disney like respond to that? There's no response.
2: I was. So, I can't believe if they're not doing that already, it's it's a huge miss on Universal's part because we put they put
0: LEDs on the on Spaceship Earth. What, what else do you want?
2: <laughs> <laughs> now it I mean they it, you said it earlier how disney didn't want to get into a uh, an attractions building war with universal it it reminds me of the line though from the uh, the first pirates of the Carib- uh, caribbean movie where barbosa looks at uh <laughs> uh what's her name elizabeth swan Yep, and goes. Uh, you know, you bet you, you, <laughs> you best gotta start bl- believing in ghost stories. You you're best in start one. believing in ghost stories, this Swan, because you're in one, and that's Ms. where Because Disney- at that point, Turner. Turner. <laughs> yep, it is. <laughs> but uh, you, you're in one right now. You, you Disney. You didn't want to be in a theme park war. Well, you better. You're in one right now. And if you guys, if your bullets are, you know, up charges for everything, and one or two attractions every five years, and Universal's is building new theme parks upping the other parks and keep adding stuff. And you know what? Not price gouging across the board. This is this, the gap yeah. is going to close much faster than Disney ever anticipated.
1: So, so I think that's an interesting point because as a podcast that has, whether you like it or not. And I think a lot of listeners, this is the most Epcot thing we could ever do As I think there's some education here that because we talk about real concepts, but we hide it within a, drunken subterfuge of nonsense,
0: (laughs) but a subterfuge is what mission space is, right? That like circular thing.
1: But so the question is
0: (laughs) if, if Disney (laughs)
1: builds a business model that is intended to prevent a basically cold wear war of attraction building with universal Mm -hmm. does the capitalist market provide enough incentive for universal to see that as an opportunity to build anyway, in order to. In other They're words, does, doing you, it. Does, does Universal. I, I, well, I, I agree. But will, in the long run, because we don't have that data yet, will Universal see Disney's basically passive mode as being an opportunity to save money, or will they see it as an opportunity to invest capital in order to steal market share? My personal belief is, and Timmy already really sold my punchline here. I think that I think Universal will continue to build. Yeah. I think that I think that the strategic advantage, the core competency that Universal seems to have over Disney is that they can innovate. Universal is much quicker. You can argue that maybe Disney still has some of the most, you know, skilled imagineers. That might be true. It might not be. But what Disney has is a tremendous amount of red tape and bureaucracy. It takes Disney forever to do anything. There was an old joke back in the 70s that if IBM invented a new computer, it would take them at least 18 months to design the box that they would ship it in. And that's Disney. They are not fast. They can't pivot. They can't do anything quickly. Universal could really look at this and say, all right, Disney's trying to not engage in a Cold War with us. Let's just say, screw it. Go We're to our investors. We're going to keep on building
0: tanks. I mean, that's what it's, they're doing,
1: and 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 they can't lose because they either force Disney to play their game, yep. or they end up playing a game that Disney's not even involved in, which would be even right. worse.
2: What what keeps Universal from, you know, partner? You know, the enemy and my enemy is my friend. Exactly. You know, look at you know how close is Epic Universe getting down there to the Sea World area. What if you mm. work? What if you work with them? And you know, if anything, Aquatica, the water park. I'm gonna say and, SeaWorld is probably too toxic for them right now. But yeah, <laughs> but one either partner with them or two. If it becomes so toxic that it becomes a sellable asset, what yeah. what about just acquiring them? And there you got your fourth theme park, second water park. Hell, they just built a Water World land in Beijing. You yeah. know, you've got your first, you've got your first property right now. People being, were uh, asking for a, a
1: park. it. <laughs> I feel like we're I, one whale animatronic away from solving a huge business problem.
2: <laughs> but as far as like trying to, they, the rides are great and they're they're opening another coaster coming up and their SeaWorld is definitely adding more attractions. But at some point, I don't know, just j- if you really want to become something that, that takes those people away. From Disney and making the vacation affordable, working with others in the area seems like it could be a, a an olive branch that could be reached out amongst a couple people, seeing that, like you said, blood in the water with Disney right now because just everything they do is <laughs> just been <laughs> those a those
0: are dead orcas on SeaWorld's hands. True. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, like they they've already done it. They've they've partnered pre-Potter, they partnered with Universe or with uh, yeah. SeaWorld yeah. For, for like uh, Orlando Flex tickets and things like that. So that's there's there's a history there. Yeah. But to your point of like uh, – that, that's the Disney approach. You want to, uh, you want to improve your, uh, your assets. Or you want to increase your assets. Just buy more. And yeah. you talk about like Universal dropping in you know, three or four dark rides uh, in a year where they b- make a bunch of C&D tickets instead of an E-ticket that year. That's akin to Disney identifying, well, we don't have the young adult male demographic. Let's go buy Marvel and Star Wars and just solve that problem. Yep. And that's that's effectively what they would do. They they throw some money at the problem, and they're not afraid to do that. So, well, so one thing I want to talk—we haven't really
2: directed towards it because I, I I would love this all to fail with. with Gene. I would love this not to be around <laughs> in five it's years. Fail. I fail. I think you hit the nail on the hair, head. Uh, though God, I can't talk right now. These uh, the beers are starting to make me. Slower. We are at two and a half hours. I've had we a are. lot of <laughs> sake. Uh, I fear what's next. Because I, what I don't think what's next is like, oh, let's make this more affordable. People want it to be affordable. I don't think they ever go backwards. I think they, they, they do figure out how do we scrap this, rebrand it, and still maximize the money. Now, the one thing I think that could be –
0: Thunderlane,
2: the, Lane. Yeah. The, the one <laughs> the one thing that could throw a wrench in all this, though, is Chapek is not the CEO for
0: life. He's got a review Here's, a, here's a question. It, 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 who lasts long or what lasts longer? Bob Chapek's tenure as, C- uh, as CEO or Genie Plus?
2: I think Genie Plus because I think he's screwing up in other areas. it's not just the parks.
1: No, yeah, I, I I disagree.
0: You're pissing off starlets. You're pissing off people that are in the Marvel Cinematic yep. Universe. You're making things which has been your Fucking cash cow for the last yeah. decade. You're making things really hard
2: on other parts of the company as well. He's not making good decisions. And what, at the board, I, I
1: don't disagree with that. But what I do. Huh. this is a complicated conversation because there's so much optics involved. And I guess we're going to really de-
0: another two and a half hours to solve it.
1: I'll be super quick here. The answer to your question depends on what stakeholders did the company care about most? Yeah. Because money. If money is not a stakeholder. Money is something that stakeholders care about. So let's assume that the stakeholder that cares the most about money are the shareholders. Well, there's a lot of shareholders who will freak the fuck out if you change CEOs again, when you're a company that typically has a CEO for 10 to 20 years and you change one after three, you're going to have a massive negative reaction on well, Wall Street. Well, but they
2: they did set this up to where there was going to be, there is going to be a board review after two years. Yeah. So that's that's already but in play. The expe- like
1: they- okay, but the expectation there is that the board goes, "This is great." Yeah. The expectation is not that you go, "Holy shit, we fucked up. The company's in crisis. We now have a leadership problem." We're we're looking inside, we're looking outside. I assure you, that isn't where they want to go. The, what they the, really want to do is ratify the decisions of this guy,
2: without a doubt. But he's not giving them much positive stuff to go with at the well, moment. I don't disagree with you there.
1: If, but if this, but like, like, what what I'm Mark saying Chapin is, that this is been a, good. There's a if, perverse force to to excuse every bad decision that he makes. That's all I'm saying. I don't disagree with the, the decision. I don't. Are bad. Know, I
2: don't know if they're married to this guy. I think. I think first off, he was, he's in his
0: sixties. He's not around yeah. ten years anyway,
2: and he so. was. He was Iger's right hand man. He was Iger's yes man. He, for he years. really, Iger, He
0: really wasn't his right hand man. Uh, I, I think he was a merchandise guy. Like the best thing in his career was the Movies Anywhere uh, uh, application. That was him, and like the Disney Vault type things. Those were him. But his his legacy, like. We talked about this you know, years ago when we were d- debating who it was going to be. Uh, Kevin Mayer, uh, I think that's the guy's name, yep, was head of right. all, the, all of the uh, mergers and acquisitions. With that being the new direction of the company, that made a lot more sense. And he could have been mm-hmm. just as bad for the parks. I have no idea. But that, to me, screamed a lot more of a logical choice than a guy that, uh, oh. his, his, that built his uh, history on consumer products. He isn't a parks guy. He isn't a he. he isn't really anything other than a consumer yeah. products guy.
1: And the irony is that Disney absolutely sucks dick at consumer products. Yeah, their merchandise is terrible.
0: Well, uh, and it's, from it's from amazing all accounts, like
2: that that hurts on the like you mentioned the Marvel like that's from what the stories have come out. This is all on him for the breakout with with Scarlett Johansson and yeah. the money that costs and the in the relationship that costs and that echoes. Throughout Hollywood, there's other people that won't work for Disney because of the way certain people get treated. Like, it's all – so if he starts costing them money in other areas just – in the reason he cost them money there is because he had no experience in that area. These are
0: billion-dollar movies and a CEO is expendable in the face of a billion-dollar movie if he fucks it up. Yeah. That's – call it what it is. He is expendable. Iger was offended by it because Iger
2: prided himself on the way he struck relationships with celebrities yep. and the stars and everything. And for the first chance, Chapek screwed the first one up. Yeah, right. Absolutely. To, to, I mean, we're not getting Tower of Terror movie because of this. We're not getting Black Widow back in anything. She's not coming
0: back. Like that's it's not that's, my Tower of Terror movie. Steve Guttenberg for life. True. True, uh, but
2: he's co- he's already cost a project. Like a project yeah. is off the board because of this short sighted decision. And the, I mean, I'm call for, it a for loss. him. Well, <laughs> but, but for him to you know greenlight the response that went out public and like mm-hmm. throw her under the bus the way they did. Other celebrities look at that, and oh, all of a sudden Disney isn't the you know especially with him in charge isn't the place that. Everybody wants to go, especially if that's how they're going to get treated publicly for any kind of flare ups that they might have
0: behind the scenes with the CEO of the freaking company. All right, so I want to bring it back to Genie+. Plus. Uh, No, let's keep
2: going. Let's talk about... I've
0: I've got a bunch of uh, opinions and speculation on it, but there are a couple of things that have been said over the last hour, uh, one of which was uh, how would Disney react to Ben's fantastic commercial idea uh, that starts airing October 1, Universal. uh, I don't care as Ben's representative, lead counsel uh, also on the call, uh, you can have that idea because I just want to see the reaction. Uh, But the... Only times that I can recall a Disney uh, – any, anybody with authority with Disney definitively responding to something that Universal has done was uh, at a D23 Expo in like 2013. Somebody presented the idea of how – like what do you think of the Harry Potter land to Bruce Vaughn? And his woefully ignorant response was bring it on. And then he was photoshopped out of the Pandora picture. And then the other one was at the opening of uh, whether it was Galaxy's Edge or Rise of the Resistance specifically, Bob Chapek saying that he doesn't measure measure success by 10-hour lines. He views that as a failure. Hmm. Those were the only really definitive punches that were were thrown. And I don't know that either of them – the Bob Chapek one was kind of mocked. Uh, the Bruce Vaughn one—he wasn't a big enough name, other than in the uh, niche community that we operate in, for that to really have any meaningful impact. I, I personally they, they, think they—they don't it's all dismissible. They, they exactly—they they just don't engage, and that's uh, that's going to be the approach that they would take. So if Universal were to do something like that, Disney would only react if it affected their bottom line. That's what it comes down to. My,
1: my view is very simple, and I'm willing—I openly admit that I might. Go to my grave, being wrong. But what I hope and what I believe is that when companies do things that overall are designed to serve their customers, that they will succeed. And when they are, quality cleaned, is the best
0: business business plan.
1: Yeah, that, that's basically it. John Lasseter. I think that for many, many, many years, that is what Disney has done, and I think that they're not doing it now. And I, I think that that will and should come at their own peril.
0: So, bringing this back to the Genie announcement, my initial opinion was I don't hate it. And this goes back to the Magic Key announcement. Uh, our expectations were worse for both the Magic Key announcement and for this. But that is giving you an idea of where the collective mindset is and what our expectations are of the Disney company. So, I, I wanted to take a step even further back from that and look at it across the board. So, Ben and I. Both praised Max Pass, and I believe this is eighty percent of Max Pass. We asked for Max Pass, we got eighty percent of it. So, with that said, uh, on a one to ten scale, I'd give it a C. Uh, on, a, on a on a letter scale, I'd give <laughs> that it that was C. a joke, right? Yes, it was. <laughs> on, on a uh, uh, so on a letter scale, I'd give it as grade it as a C. And this is all personal opinion here, but I thought Fast Pass Plus was a D slash F, despite how much I took advantage of it. I took advantage of FastPass Plus, especially in the early years of it, because it was so flawed uh, and so exploitable. I benefited from it and got substantially more value out of my vacation than 99% of the guests in the park. And I will freely admit that now. And that is not because I was using the system to the best of its designed ability. I was using the system knowing all of the flaws in the system. I have used MaxPass a couple of times. MaxPass eliminated a ton of those flaws, and I would call MaxPass and Legacy FastPass a B for different reasons. One, MaxPass had a price point attached to it, so by that point itself, it's going to be knocked down a peg. Legacy FastPass was free, but had a little bit less convenience to it than MaxPass was. What I would look at for an A announcement here would be MaxPass without a charge, or... Max pass without a charge for certain groups of people, like those staying at a resort, DVC holders, annual pass holders, that type of thing. Uh-huh. That would, if that was the sales pitch here, I think it would be met with substantially more positive reviews, and it would be a rebranding of FastPass Plus. The other uh, thing I, would, I don't want that. the The I, other thing here is the disability changes that we talked about six hours ago. These are potentially ripe with abuse, and the system always has been, but they did something here where they put substantially more threatening language on the website for people that are fabricating disabilities, and this is where I want to call upon counsel to discuss their ability to enforce that. I don't know if you saw that, Josh, but it basically says what will happen if somebody is faking a disability in order to benefit from the disability system, and they said we will have the rights to terminate their existing passes that they have and their vacation and bar them from property um that may have always been the policy but i've yet to see there i I previously hadn't seen that in print on their website sure i mean
1: no good attorney is gonna give you a definitive direct answer like you want unfortunately Mm -hmm. and the reason is not because attorneys are assholes even though they are it's because this process is complicated and most of the time when you're dealing with a complicated factual situation, it's the specific facts of the case that determine the outcome. So you have to wait for litigation to actually resolve that. Um, I think, let me, let me start with the things that I think are easy principles to stand for. And I'll move into the more complicated ones so that we funnel toward from simple to complex. Okay. I think Disney has a moral obligation, forget about the law, Mm -hmm. to do what they can to accommodate the needs of guests who have special needs. Sure. All right. Now that's a complicated statement in and of itself, because what does that really mean? How do you do that? You can't write a simple policy to address that because the needs Uh of guests that have disabilities are complicated. Sure. So if we were to narrow the analysis only to guests that actually have special needs, it's still an extraordinarily complicated question. Mm -hmm. When you add on to that, the fact that some people are going to exploit that, you end up with a exponentially more difficult question. So let's forget about the law. Yes, I'm an attorney. But Hmm. from a simple, moral, ethical perspective, I think the company needs to do everything they can to to make reasonable accommodations for people who have nonstandard needs. Mm-hmm. And I think that their ability to do that depends upon being able to differentiate between people that actually have those needs and people who are who are trying to exploit the system. And that's a really, really difficult challenge to lay to anyone.
0: And they're because, gonna err on the side of give them the disability pass over. And I think getting, that's
1: the right move.
0: So I'm gonna give some examples and I gotta speak anecdotally here because of course. N- nobody if you spend, you know, five minutes with my brother, you're going to, you're going to pick up that there's, uh, that there's something off. Okay. He is a, he is a very clear case of autism, but it's, uh, it's something. And I, I know Maureen deal of autism at the parks listens to this and she can probably speak even more intelligently about this than myself, uh, okay. even with a brother, but, uh, it is a spectrum disease and yeah. it's one that is, it is, it's not quite a magic word at guest services to get a disability pass, but it's, it's about as close to a magic word as, as what you can get. Um, And something that I will speak uh, candidly about my brother. There's very idiosyncratic behaviors that vary from individual to individual. My brother, for example, will not wear shorts. It could be a hundred degrees out. He will not wear shorts. So on our first trip to Disneyland, we went in the summer because that was what worked for us. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And we got him a lighter weight fabric but when you're walking around in the summer wearing pants and it's 90 degrees out, uh, stuff starts to rub together, sweat starts to get in places, and you start to itch. And when you're yeah. uh, and when you're a 40 year old autistic man that doesn't really give a shit about uh, social norms, that means your hand goes into your pants right. and when uh i mean i i by no means am i meaning to uh, offend anybody uh with this comment but i think people understand what i'm saying uh if you have uh down syndrome generally there is a certain look to somebody with down syndrome and the behavioral issues are very similar to somebody that has autism my brother does not have down syndrome he by all accounts looks quote normal so if you see a 40 year old man in a line when it's ninety degrees out, and you've got you know teenage girls wearing crop tops, and his hand is down his pants. There's some yeah. red flags. There's some cautions that needs to be uh, I, needs to I, be raised. understood. Um, and, so and I, uh, I'm what, sorry. What, what I say, if, if if ever pressed, and we have been on occasion at, at uh, guest services, is saying that inappropriate touching comes to be. And we'll go into detail because there's no, we're, we're not trying to shame my brother in any way, shape or form. We're trying to explain the right. awkward situations that we're trying to avoid. And yep. that is a very prime example of one. Look, and we've pulled them out of line as a result of it at times. Uh, it, it's,
1: it's really cute to think that the world has evolved to the point where being different is acceptable. The fact of the matter is that it isn't. Mm-hmm. And anyone who deviates from whatever social norm has, you know, exists at the time is going to face the risk of being ostracized. And Let's make sure
0: that people don't misconstrue that. Just to put that out there.
1: <laughs> no, no. I my point is very clear. Yeah, I think it is noble and critical that that companies are aware that these are human beings that have sure. feelings and emotions. It matters. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the contours of how to do it. Are complicated, yeah. and they're ex- the, the complexity of it is exacerbated by scumbag shitheads that try yeah. to you know use their those systems for their own uh, gain. And I'll admit, I have ridden, I have gone to the front of line on the basis of a GAT card that was issued to a friend. Now they have a legitimate disability, so is that a scam?
0: No, you know, I don't think so.
1: Uh-uh. But but I think you could make an argument that it is, right? It's 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 a difficult question.
0: But, but the, I do think and you why you, you why really is that, f- why is that friend, why is uh my brother's family uh exempt from enjoying the time in the parks with them? The offering that they're uh made I, I don't to, think they
1: should be. And yeah. I, I want to clarify my point. Okay. I'm just saying that there are situations where people are truly exploiting it. There are situations oh, sure. where people are truly using it properly. But there's a middle ground where it's, it's a hard call. Sure. Even as yeah. someone who is benef- has uh, that's what I'm trying that, to say here. That, I'm, that's,
2: I saw it, a lot of – oh, go ahead. Sorry.
1: I was just saying that even as someone who is not trying to be malicious, you know, and I, look, I'll, I'll be more specific. It was Gary. Yep. Who is one of my closest friends, right, who has zero legs, which is two less than average. Um, check your math on that.
0: Hold on. E- e- <laughs> I think you're going to find one, out, correct. One, two... What are those? Oh, those are toes. That's not what you're talking about? Okay. Yeah, yeah 3 two, joke
1: is when he comes back uh, after two, an absence and tells me he stubbed his toe.
0: But anyway... <laughs> minus um, zero, the point okay, is, yes, that checks. There is
1: no system where you're going to perfectly differentiate between those who truly need it and those who don't. Right. And I think that the, the error has to go in favor of the people who truly need the system. Mm-hmm. So... I'm going to try and drill back down to the actual question you asked me. Is it legal or appropriate for them to to be able to take punitive action against those who they are convinced abused it? Yes. Okay. Should they be held to account if they are wrong? Yes.
0: So, you know, if they – I think all those things go away with a doctor's note and that's very easy to get, whatever the circumstance may be.
1: None of the difficulty goes away with anything. But but, but I mean, like, yes, like, you know, if,
0: if Disney were to pursue legal action against somebody or terminate somebody's yeah, past, yeah. a doctor's Look, note will go a long way. As a lawyer,
1: the most common question I get asked is if a cop knocks on my door and asks if I can search your house, should I say yes? And my answer is always no. And the follow up statement that I always make to them is be polite, be respectful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and this is where I think people go wrong. And I've been to Disney enough to know that where the real problem where the rubber meets the road is not the difference between those who truly need an accommodation and those who don't. It's between assholes and normal people. Yep. If you're going to go to a person who's making a minimal amount of money, who's probably sincerely trying to provide a good customer experience and you're going to be terrible to them and go out of your way to torture them, uh, you deserve whatever comes to you, quite (laughs) frankly, no matter what your needs are. Um, So be respectful. If you have a legitimate need, you should be able to explain that. Is there some chance that a cast member is going to make a poor decision based on what they hear? Of course. And you can escalate that, but you can, in any challenge you have in life, you can do it like a responsible, respectful adult, or you can be a dick. And I think that if you're a responsible person, you're generally going to get a good outcome. And if you're a dick, I hope you get a bad outcome because that's not the kind of behavior that I want to encourage. I yeah, think that's I a say, non-lawyerly answer, but that—that that is my answer. Don't be an just, asshole.
2: I was just going to say that this, there were some people that I saw on like Twitter that were worried with the the pre-screening uh, and the, yep. the like this face-to-face Zoom and like, you know what kind of gatekeeping would be going on there, especially the ones that were worried. Were like, I don't have a visible, physical disability. It's going to be, be discussion.
1: Communicate. Yeah. That's yeah. that's all point of talking. But, that's why we have uh, language.
2: And I I do think that the language they put out there, one I think, was probably language that that's I I have a feeling that's maybe always been policy. It's just never yeah. been it, yeah, put out there like that. that. But yeah, they were that's also right. they were also pretty blunt in the answer. It wasn't like a very friendly answer. And I do think it was scare tactics a, a, oh, a big portion of it. But it did scare a lot of people who actually need it. And so they they are worried about you know again, is this going to be some person that's trained to address these situations or is this some is it a college program kid <laughs> making a decision yeah. to go no, nah, you're lying. I'm I'm yeah, raising a flag. I'm I'm going to I'm going to tag yeah. your account with it and all of a sudden but, it's it's a big mess for you uh, as opposed to uh you know, yeah, whatever. that's a fair
1: concern. Uh, I do. And there, there are going to be bad outcomes here.
0: Yep. This Let's is just my, too uh, big of a company pass-
1: to bat a thousand sports. Let's reference. look
0: at my annual pa- past purchase. Thanks, I went Tim. to one person <laughs> at, uh, at guest services, and I, again, I wasn't a jerk at any point in time, if you can believe that. Where I just said, <laughs> "This is what I'm looking to do," and they said, "Sorry, can't help you." And at the recommendation of uh, of Mark. Try again. Try it with a different cast member. Yeah. And that doesn't necessarily mean if you don't have a, a legitimate disability that necessitates a disability card, that you keep on trying and keep on badgering people? But I will absolutely say that in, at Disney and in life that if you're not a jerk, uh, things yeah. go a lot further. Yeah. I, we, we're I, at hour seven here and there's a couple of things that I want to hit.
2: I <laughs> was just going to say one more thing on this real fast. Super so fast. Sorry. Sure. Uh, now that I've kind of gone blank a little bit on it. Good job. The language on there, two, two things on it, the harshness of the language. One does add another level of anxiety to some people who don't need sure. another level of anxiety to the their vacation. The in the first place. Yep. So yep. they maybe could have been a little, you don't have to actually put that out there. If that's your policy, you don't have to put that out there. If you catch somebody doing that, you can still execute what you would do if you see. Uh, uh, a,
1: a, I'm a big fan of deterrence, so I, I would disagree with you on that.
2: Well, I think the deterrent also is put out there for people to go. Do I want to go through all that, or why don't I want to just get the fast pass? Yeah, I'll just get. I'll just get the genie, whatever. Like I don't okay. want it to go That's through a fair this. Point. And so I don't know. It, it's they. They were a bit more harsh with their language than we're typically used to. Disney being in a situation like, especially with it being a disability area i just i just found their putting that out there publicly was a bit odd for this company
0: but i'm okay with it I, i'll play devil's advocate at least it, three it, times i
2: i just felt bad for some of the people that were really stressed
0: out that, that But if if, if the messaging
2: it, so
1: if the messaging is that if you scam us we're going to come down on you like a ton of bricks yep and you're not trying to scam them why yeah. would you be afraid
2: yep right now right. i can Agreed. also
1: argue against that and say that you know there's a lot of there's tens of thousands of innocent people in prison right now. Yep. But, but the point is I I think that in order to serve the group of people that needs this service the most, they have to deter people who don't need it from trying to scam it. So again, this is the Kobayashi Maru. They can't win. They have to bias their decision-making on one side of the equation or the other. And I think trying to serve the people who have disabilities is the right choice. No, but I doubt. certainly have busted this company's balls enough to know that I, I, sh- I should have I, I, some I, credibility. I'm I'm not a shill for the company. I they pay me nothing, but
2: I'll say from my time working there, you know, I've seen we've all seen the stories of the, you know, this was back before there was a disability lane, but there was a wheelchair lane, the wheelchair access, and the family rolling up with one kid in the wheelchair. And when they got off the jungle cruise, yeah, I literally switch. would see them running off, going, "No, it's my turn to ride in the chair." Yeah. Okay, come on, like those. No doubt, that's 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 the biggest red flag in the world, right there. And, and that is a cost I, I, that I,
1: you pay in order to serve the people that have a disability, yep. and that's okay.
2: Yep. Uh, the other one was kind of going back to just not being a dick, being a jerk. I loved it. You know, it, I always found you could tell the ones that needed it and that didn't need it because the ones that needed it. If they didn't get exactly what they needed, if I had to say no, you, you, you know, you need to go over this way, or I've got to hold the, they were perfectly fine. Oh, no problem. Yes, we'll do whatever you need. The ones that were faking it, when I would have to put any resistance to access to the attraction at that moment, they would be pissed. <laughs> As yeah. like you're pissed because you're not getting front of the line access ahead of all these people. You you know you could tell right off the bat the ones that appreciated whatever accommodations that you could give them, they're the ones that you knew needed the assist- assistance the ones faking it were always dicks were always jerks were always pissed off when they didn't get exactly what they wanted at the exact moment and uh yeah. you know but at the same time as a cast member i was told to treat them all the same there was there was i had no power to, to yeah. f- raise a flag up and call a manager and be like hey these people are faking and you know wheelchair access or whatever it was just like keep going through it and and you just kind of rolled it off and that was everybody there was no There was no training. There was nothing to kind of make us aware or any kind of system put in place to say uh, of a certain way to handle it.
1: And, and, you know, the problem is, and I mean, I've been an upper level manager in a pretty big company, and I can tell you, you know, (laughs) unfortunately, good people are going to have bad experiences because of your policies when you're the person making the policy. Yeah. And what they tend to assume is that you don't give a shit about them. But what most people don't realize is that When you have a lot of humans that are subject to the consequences of the rules that you make, some of them are going to be done wrong. And I don't know that there's any way around that. It's just it's one of these real big challenges of sort of the, uh, you know, quantum theory of people is that you have to create the policies so that they work in the aggregate. But there are going to be individuals that are harmed because of that.
0: Yeah, it's going to slip through.
1: And the people that are making the decisions, like, if you're one of the people that are harmed, you look at them and you go, well, what a shithead this person is for making that rule. Yeah. But, yeah. but what would be their better choice? And yeah, that's, that's, the, that's, that's the
0: other objective you need to figure out. So when they, it, there's change, no wind. From, when they change from the uh, guest assistance card to uh, the disability access service card, um, it, it changed the way that we approach the parks. But at the end of the day, it was still transparent to my brother, and yeah, that's agreed. that's the important thing. So well, I'll tell you when we had the um, the guest assistance card, that was that had a hard cap of six people for the guest assistance card is what you could use. And when my sister would join us on the trip, we would be traveling nine deep, and I recognized that. It's a little bit of a leap to allow nine people to go on a single person's disability pass. I I recognize that. So when they didn't enforce the, um, the end time for fast passes, what we would do is we would get into the park uh, and usually Marie, myself, and probably my sister would take everybody's passes and supplement the guest assistance card with fast passes throughout the park. So like, one person, if uh, not everybody was going to be riding Splash Mountain, so we'd need, you know, one fast pass for Splash Mountain. We need one for Thunder Mountain. We need to get three for Peter Pan's flight. We need to get, you know, three for Haunted Mansion or whatever it was. We had nine passes to work with on the course of the day, and we'd basically line up supplementing the guest assistance card. Uh, the first you know, half a dozen attractions in the day. And then we'd make a run and we'd go through the entire thing again. And that's how we would map out our day with nine of us. We knew the system. We knew how to figure it out. Right. Um, with the disability service, uh, they actually did expand it. They didn't uh, officially put it on the website. But you could actually add more people to the, um, the service. And I think in many ways, it's because the optics of showing the magic orange card at the fast pass entrance you get everybody in the standby line that saw that and said how do i get one of those how do i get in the front of the line instant access thing right. uh you now no longer see that and to the average guest if my brother comes walking through what is now the fast pass line because most attractions that's how they did it uh well he has a fast pass that's why he's there it's not yeah. that he has a disability. There's no additional judgment or presumption or anything like that. And I thought it was a better system, even though the actual true benefits of it were stripped down a little bit. But yeah. uh, I want to I go to the actual interview process here and something that I'm anticipating because we're going to likely do this ahead of our trip in November. Uh, at this point in time, my brother knows that we're going to Disney soon. And because of the uncertainty of the world that we live in, we have not told him the exact dates because there's still a greater than 0% chance that it doesn't happen. So uh, when we're in the window to book it, uh, my hope is that I can get on with the cast member. Uh, It'll be myself, my mother, and not necessarily my brother at the outset and say, look, this is a circumstance. Uh, He doesn't really know the why of why we're having this conversation. and even if he was actively part of the conversation and we were talking about Disney, he might not necessarily know why, but we would make it apparent to the cast member that when he is on, that we don't really talk about the why of why we're having this conversation. And I think that's something more so than, you know, people being uh, trying to dupe the person on the other end of the zoom call that they absolutely need to be mindful of, because in so many cases, that this is a surprise for the individuals uh, in question um, and something that that needs to be a component of all this. And it's something that I definitely have in the back of my mind uh, for this conversation. But anyway, uh, I want to move away from disability service and kind of wrap the show. But I had a few more uh, minor points here. I don't know if you guys have thought hard about the uh, queue signage. We mentioned it for Ratatouille that says FastPass+. Plus. Uh, yeah. Switch switching everything to Lightning Lane, just <laughs> simply letters. There are substantially more letters in Lightning Lane than there is Fast Pass, <laughs> and there's a lot of things where you would potentially have to change more than just Fast Pass Plus entrance because you have standby entrance, you have Fast Pass Fast Pass Plus entrance, as yeah. the labels and the symmetry in a lot of those signs uh, is going to potentially be ruined. So. <laughs> I could I, I could this see is a them of
1: detail that only my OCD self can really appreciate.
0: But I, I mean I can absolutely see that like uh, I think a Haunted Mansion, it says standby entrance and fast pass plus entrance, and there is a deliberate divider between the word the first word and the word entrance. Yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong, it's a solvable problem, but it's just another layer of stupidity that comes with a name change like this, and every five years we have to well, come up with a way to make the signs look good.
2: The level the, the, of stupidity is how late in the game they came up with all this. Oh, yeah. just look at like the ratatouille. Like, did they not know a year ago that this was coming well, at all? That <laughs> they still put the in fast defense, pass plus that was
0: going to open in April of twenty, and they were going to have fast pass plus then. So, <laughs>
2: but at the same, so April, so all of this has come together since then. Yeah, like the like like. That's what I mean. It, the, the this, real, is, this isn't the, something they've been planning for the last three or four years. This is like within the last year, they've come up with all this crap and, and pushed it out there.
1: Probably The real offensive part of it to me is that the reason there has to be a name change is because they understand that they can't give you the same thing that used to be free and now yeah. charge you for it. Yep. So I, that's that's the real problem to me is that there's a perpetual increase in price and a – virtually non-existent increase in in what they're delivering.
0: Yep. You, uh, you mentioned the uncertainty on the name, and they kind of did the same thing with Next Gen, where you had Next Gen, My Disney Experience, uh, My Magic Plus, all more or less meaning the same thing. And they rolled in a few other components to it as well. In this case, you are paying for Genie Plus, but it's not the Genie Plus lane. It's the right. Lightning Lane. Uh, and then the individual attraction service is a fucking horrible name (laughs) and uh because they didn't want to just call it upcharge attractions or genie plus plus they that also uses the lightning Lane. so they they're just you know throwing random stuff against the wall and they none of this is consistent and is remarkably confusing just from a naming dynamic but uh, neither here nor there. Uh, we are literally approaching hour three, so I'm going to end the show. I don't care if you guys have any more points. <laughs> if you have any questions or topic ideas, you can email us at com. Actually, you know what? Let's go into our Animal Kingdom discussion. I got two hours on the <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, You, can, you also-
1: what, can I just ask a question? What is the longest podcast ever to be published, and should we try to beat that record?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Chappelle did like 24 hours on a podcast. Uh, I can't beat uh, that. Anyway. Uh, you can I'm not, also to have to
1: piss my pants right now.
0: <laughs> you can also follow us on Twitter under the username at Cald or join in on the discussions in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash We'd also appreciate our listeners bookmarking our Amazon affiliate link over on MartyKald.com. Labor Day is coming up, and it's the 14th biggest gift-giving holiday in the United States. Be sure to buy all of your Labor Day gifts through our website's affiliate link. Doesn't also cost Also, stop wearing white. And helps fund the show with purchases you're going to make anyway. Ben, where can we find you online?
1: You can
2: find me on Twitter at backside underscore water, and you can find my top 10 uh, column in every issue of Attraction's magazine.
0: Josh, same question.
1: Utiladors.com, Utiladors with an extra O for savings.com.
0: And you can find me Parks on Twitter, Parks.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good one. Give it a good suck.
2: Lightning lane. <laughs> <laughs>
0: basketball, dribble, dribble, dribble I'm gonna dunk
1: that fucker Bubba
2: bubba basketball, gimme, gimme, gimme the ball, because I'm gonna dunk it, yeah. Bubba bubble basketball, gimme, gimme, gimme the ball, because I'm gonna dunk it, yeah. Bubba bubba basketball, gimme, gimme, gimme the ball because I'm gonna dunk it, yeah. Bubba bubba basketball, gimme, gimme, gimme the ball because I'm gonna dunk it.